I love Henri Cartier-Bresson, Bruce Gill. I, I love all street photographers for the most part. The uber street photographer is the one who's able to use all techniques in all different situations. And I shot really close street photography with a flash. He turned around and he just kicked me super hard. He kicked me so hard that the flash flew out of my hands. Hello fellow photographers, in this episode I'm talking with Eric Kim. We are talking about taking pictures during important life events such as funeral or wedding, about Eric's photography techniques, problems with social media and much more. My name is Martin and this is podcast about photography. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Make sure you are subscribed if you want to be notified when I post a new episode. And also there is one thing I would love you to do. I would be very thankful if you could go and give this podcast 5 star rating and a review. If you like this content and you think other people might enjoy it as well, feel free to take a screenshot and throw it out on your Instagram story or share it with your friends. All the information can be found in the description. Now, without any further ado, let's talk about photography. My guest today is photographer, blogger and philosopher Eric Kim. Thank you Eric for coming. How you doing? Rocking the memento mori and just reminding ourselves that uh, photography is the most important thing in life. And remember that one day we will die. <laughs> okay. Uh, congratulations on your beautiful new baby. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I've, uh, I joined the club. I saw, I saw the video of you doing the street photography POV with a baby in the stroller. And I'm like, that's, that's super awesome. Cause like I'm ever since becoming a new father, you know, like a lot of people are like, oh, you know, once you have a kid, your life's over, blah, blah. But I've actually found it more interesting to I mean, it kind of figure is. out creative. Well, uh, <laughs> I, was like, I would say it's like trying to figure out clever ways to integrate baby into your photographic lifestyle. So, you know, like, you know, have the baby Bajoran, the, the front strap facing thing. So I've actually been shooting street photography with him. And it's perfect decoy because when I'm shooting street photography and they see a baby, they're not going to be like angry at me for shooting a street <laughs> photo because they see the baby like, oh, the baby is so cute. And, you know, I've been doing a bunch of selfies with the baby and I, I, I shoot like a thousand pictures of him a day. So, like, it's actually been a really good new stimulus to my, my photography. Okay. Uh, talking about your baby, I know you photographed the birth of your child, right? Mm-hmm. But also other important events in your life. The funeral of your grandfather or your wedding, yeah. right? So yeah. I yeah. wanted to ask you about the experience. Why did you decide to, to do that? Hmm. Well, um, thank you so much for the the question, Martin. That's a a very thoughtful one. I think, um, like, I just had the thought the other day that photography is a tool for curating your memories, your your personally meaningful memories. And I was inspired by the thought that, you know, you take these, you know, universal human experiences, like, you know, uh, death of a grandparent and even uh, birth of a child. And it's kind of a way to turn it into kind of an artistic experience. And then, you know, I think it's so interesting because when I was uh, photographing the the death of my grandfather, it made me actually realize how much I appreciate a life and to bookend that with the the birth of my uh, birth of my kid and also the, the wedding. So like for me, I like this idea that I could immortalize all of these important life events of my life, which are also quite universal to other people and to try to make it into something beautiful. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I have a, I have a poor memory. So <laughs> looking back at the pictures is kind of a good way for me to re-stimulate my, my memories. Cause even now, like, I mean, I'm sure you as a father, you also know is that, you know, Seneca is only four months old. 
I don't remember what he was like when he was like only one or two weeks old. So I'll go back to the old picture. I'm like, wow, he was so small. So being able to see the to see the growth is is so amazing. But I think the big thing, like um, especially photographing the birth, it's something that I don't think a lot of people have documented it actually. And you know, I have my trusty Ricoh GR3 camera always with me. Got yours too? Oh yeah, Rico Mafia for life. Um, and so for me, it was part of it was personally meaningful to me to, it actually made me feel more connected with the experience to realize how special it was, but also sharing the images um, to inspire other people. And actually the, the best thing I, I actually heard was, oh, after seeing the pictures or seeing your baby, it's like, oh, now I want to have a kid. So I'm like, that's like the <laughs> biggest compliment for me. It's so like, if I can make photos or if my, my son is cute enough that can inspire other people to have kids, I'm like, you know, I think that's a, a good idea. Perfect. And was it, uh, when you look back, uh, was it um, as you expected it to be before you before you did it? I mean, um, did you have some sort of idea how you're going to process it? Uh, for example, the wedding or, or the funeral? Because I oh, mean, so, uh, if yeah. we talk about the birth, uh, it's it's the different chapter, but uh, yeah. did it, did the other events, did it disturb you? you know, being in that kind of situation when you mm. were taking photographs? Well, that's a, that's a great question, Martin. So, um, um, you know, I'll, I'll first talk about my grandfather uh, photographing the funeral and then talk about the wedding. So I, I still remember like a few, like, um, I don't remember what year, maybe it was like, you know, 2012 or 2013. I'm not sure. I was living in East Lansing, Michigan at the time. And, you know, I just got a call from my mom at like 3 a.m. saying, oh, your grandpa passed. Um, you just need to come to South Korea immediately for the funeral. Cool. And at the time, I was really uh, knee deep in uh, shooting film and I actually had the the Rico GR1 um, S film camera. It was, it was essentially the, the film version of this. And my friend Hiroaki from um, from Tokyo, he gave me a bunch of a Neopan 400 film. And so I was like, oh, maybe what I could actually do is, you know, I had a thought for a photo project. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to bring, you know, like 10 rolls of film and I'm going to shoot Neopan 400. I'll push it to 1600. So I, what I did was in my camera, I underexposed it two stops. And when I got it, when I processed, I actually processed it myself. And I kind of thought that, okay, if, if I shoot film for my grandfather's funeral, I think it'll be a good idea because it'll help me be more present with the moment. Because, you know, like, you know, with digital photography, you'll take and then, you know, like a lot of people champ and they'll always like be looking at the back of the LCD screen. But I wanted it to be fully in the moment and present with the funeral. And at first I was a little bit concerned about, oh, what will the family think about, uh, you know, me photographing the funeral? And a lot of people thought, but surprisingly, like, Everyone in my family knows I'm a photographer. So my uncle was like, okay, Eric, you know, go take all the pictures you want. And he even gave me his little digital point and shoot camera, like like some like random Samsung, like, you know, crappy old digital camera to take some pictures too. And so actually, um, I've actually found that photographing uh, my grandfather's funeral, and, it, and it, especially because like it was my grandfather's funeral, I'm part of the family. No one actually had any qualms or issues about it. The only moment was, um, so in Korean co culture, the night before the, the the actual funeral procession, there's kind of like this private family viewing that, you know, they, they look at the casket, they open up and see the father. So the, that was the only moment my my uncle, my oldest uncle was like, Eric, you can photograph it, but you're not allowed to photograph this. And so, you know, I put away the camera and then, you know, the family starts crying and you know, seeing the, the grandfather. So 
But I would say for anyone who's interested in photographing, you know, death and you know, funeral family members, it's I think it's I think it's a good idea. And I think more people should do it because the you know, obviously, like my family, like a lot of families have a lot of you know, family drama. But the the death of my grandfather, ironically, was able to bring the whole family together. And also, like, I didn't know my grandfather super, super well, but I felt like photographing uh, the funeral made me somehow feel like a little bit closer to him. And then after, you know, I shot the the whole funeral, I had like 10 rolls of film, came back to the States. And actually, I, um, I hand processed all the film with myself at home, and I also scanned it myself. And so, you know, obviously, it's, you know, it's a much more tedious process, but I felt like, like this sounds so sounds so corny, right? Like holding the film and processing it and pulling it out, looking at the images and scanning it myself. Like I felt more like hand tactile connected to the whole experience. Okay. So I I actually do think that if someone's going to photograph a funeral or something, and if one has experience with film, I would actually recommend people to shoot in film because it's 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 a little bit more difficult, but I think it's more beautiful. And then just you know shooting Neopan four hundred pushing to sixteen hundred, really dark and gritty, which I think also evokes the kind of like heavy emotions that I was able to to capture um with photographing the the wedding at the time I had the Rico GR I think the GR2 camera or the GR1 camera I don't remember the the prior version with the the flash Sean Pimo just had it in my front pocket and you know with wedding pictures typically you know the stereotype is like oh you know it's all like colorful and bright and you know like the typical wedding pictures but I'm like oh um, one of my one of my uh, friends from LA, his name is Robert Larson. He was the first one I knew that he photographed his own wedding, and so I was like, "Huh, maybe I could also do the same." So I just did the Rico GR, kept in my front pocket, and I was able to photograph, you know, Cindy as she's getting ready and behind the scenes. And to me, it's like, you know, she's the most beautiful person in the world. So photographing that, it was so meaningful and fun, and also kind of gave you know, a unique perspective. And then, you know, afterwards, and also having a flash was great. You know, we're like dancing on the dance floor. I'm shooting a bunch of pictures of the flash. And I actually look back at the wedding, um, the wedding pictures. And, you know, my friend Neil, you know, who, Neil Ta, who made really beautiful, you know, great uh, wedding pictures and a lot of great architecture. And, so you know, you kind had of another photographer style. to do Yeah. It. So I had, I had um, so, so my friend Neil Ta was able to uh, photograph my, my wedding for me. And so he shot lots of beautiful weddings, you know, like, you know, Canon, DSLR, you know, nice colors and stuff like that. But then looking back at his pictures and looking at my pictures, the pictures that I shot feels more personally meaningful to me because I was the one able to you know, also experience that. And so I'm kind of grateful that I had both. But, um, you know, photographing it, I actually felt like, you know, like sometimes people are like, oh, you know, you have to experience the moment, appreciate the moment, put away the camera. But actually, on the contrary, for me, when I'm photographing, you know, something while I'm experiencing it, I actually feel like it's augmented reality. Like it's augmented life. Like I could experience the, the experience more deeply when I'm photographing it because it's more of an acknowledgement that this is actually something special. Okay. And uh, do you think it like uh, evolved you as a photographer? Did you, f I mean, it's a, like a question. Did you feel different after, after experiencing this? Oh, I, I feel like, uh, I felt like before I felt like, uh, Charmander, and then someone gets <laughs> fire stone that became the, yeah, the yeah. Charmander. That, that, no, that's, that's what I meant, actually. Yeah, no, that's actually. Do you, do you like my Pokemon reference? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Martin, do you remember the episode where Ash tries to give uh, Pikachu the the Lightning Stone? Yeah, and and then the Pikachu doesn't want the Lightning Stone, right? 
Yeah, he's like crying, and he like hits it away with his tail. And then, and I'm like, oh, sorry. No, no, okay, so, so actually, because um, I, I mean, I don't know if you've you gone through this, uh, Martin, or maybe even your listeners, um, is, you know, when I was like starting off uh, photography, street photography is my passion. And it's kind of this danger when you put yourself too much into like a small niche or a small bubble where it's like, okay, I can only shoot street photography. And if I shoot anything that's not street photography, it's like, it's not legitimate. And so when I was photographing my grandfather's funeral or photographing my wedding or now even the birth of my child, like even, um, you know, one of my, my, my friends, um, Anthony Larson, he's like, Oh, Eric, now that you have a, a, ki- a kid, you're going to be the world's best family photographer or family. <laughs> I think you like, you can take a bunch of photos, of your kid, the most photographed kid. And so I think it definitely helped my, my evolution because I was able to kind of use my street photography techniques, which is kind of like, you know, low key, kind of candid, decisive moment stuff, but also knowing how to interact with my subjects and pose them and stuff like that, especially with Cindy. Um, and especially I think that um, shooting your own funeral for somebody who's in your family, I think it's really it's not really even about skill. It's really 99 percent like having the guts to do it or having the yeah i think it'd be you know, very like you know yeah because i mean like any funeral that any photographer experiences and photograph it's it's all going to be meaningful and it's all going to be very emotional and i think you know still the the big thing was in my head was like overcoming that feeling is that like oh it's just kind of like somehow disrespectful but i actually felt like in some ways i was giving it more honor so i would encourage um more photographers uh you know, when it comes to their funeral, wedding, or even birth, um, there's this word in uh, Yiddish. Do you know the word? Have you heard of the word chutzpah? Chutzpah, C-H-U. It's kind of like having the audacity or having the balls or having the, you know, breaking social norms to do something interesting. And I think that's almost like the ethos of street photography is essentially like you're overriding all these um, commonly accepted social practices to make beautiful art or images. And I think the same applied to photographing my grandfather's funeral, um, photographing my, uh, my wedding and, you know, photographing my child. So definitely. Um, was there like was a moment, sorry, was there like a moment during the childbirth that Cindy told you like, Eric, put it away. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, that's actually, that's actually a good question. Oh, so actually one thing I just want to mention too is, um, I feel like I didn't give this enough attention, but I actually photographed Cindy's pregnancy too. Okay. So actually after I did the blog post on photographing the birth of my child, I actually did one on photographing Cindy's pregnancy. I actually think that the photographing the pregnancy was far more in, in some ways more intimate than photographing the actual childbirth. Okay. Um, because the, that, that's a good question. So if I, if I think about it during the actual child, no, I just, I just photograph. like, honestly, like, you know, you've experienced it as the birthing partner, right? Your partner is in so much freaking pain and, you know, we're both super sleep deprived that like there's almost this delirious state that they're they're not like, don't forget. And then, you know, I photographed everything, but the really explicit photos, you know, I don't share those on the internet. I just keep those for Cindy and myself and our, our family. Um, but I'm so glad that uh, I photographed it because like the most, probably the most graphic one I have is actually... Did you see the picture of the actual Seneca, like with the umbilical cord coming out, like being held like that? I'm not sure. I, I saw the blog post of a lot of photos of him. Not sure if I saw yeah. that one. I'll, I'll send you the picture later. But then, but this actually like him the first time he's out with the umbilical cord. Like it's so graphic and gory. But then because it's in black and white, it doesn't look too intense. 
Um, so in some ways, shooting black and white was a very good idea because it was also very dark. Uh, Recoil Air 3, excellent high ISO capabilities. I just I just shot it in like program mode, high contrast, black and white JPEG, um, auto ISO, auto autofocus, and it actually does a surprisingly good job. Okay. So so yeah, during the the birth, there was there wasn't really a moment where Cindy was like put away the camera, but it was more <laughs> of um, when I was photographing her while she was pregnant. It was just trying to balance the fine lines that like you want to share intimate, beautiful moments, but I. I also made the choice to not share the the too too intimate. Books, oh, okay. If you know what I mean, yeah. Because I have recently, I have recently reviewed a book by Christopher Anderson. Uh, mm. He did the one called Pia, and then he did the one before called Atlas, and he basically made a photography book uh, about his children, kind of like po- not not posing them, but it's like a, a beautiful compilation of of the photographs. Of the oh, did you the did you did you did you did you like the pictures? Yeah, I did. Like, I did many of them. Oh, because um, actually, um, what actually kind of inspired me to start like my son or my other project, uh, Seneca project, is uh, Christopher Anderson. He did a project like way back when, like called Sun. I think it was just on yeah, the Magnum. Yeah, that's the Atlas, right? Oh, is that Atlas? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Because I saw that on the, the Magnum Photos uh, website, and I was actually really, really moved by that. Yeah, I, and then it's like a spiritual successor. The, the Pia is his daughter, so that's basically same, but with different subject. Which which one are better, the son pictures or the daughter pictures? So I didn't get the book in my hand. I just saw it on the internet. And yeah. I think uh, I like maybe the daughter more. Mm. The, the, there, are also, uh, there are also some nudes in the, in the Atlas, right? So it's more. Mm-hmm. It feels more intimate, uh, the son one, and yeah. the the daughter one. The the Pia feels more art like. Oh, okay, okay. Like uh, he said, he's not like posing her, but that he is that she is expecting to be photographed because she's living like in the family of photographers. So she is often posing for him. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, if me and Cindy ever have an arcade and we have a daughter, this could be a, a good a, good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess still. Okay. Uh, I would also like to talk about your style because, like, uh, you know, at the beginning, I think you pretty much tried, like, a lot of style of street, styles of street photography, right? You did, like, this uh, flash into your face, uh, like the yeah, famous, yeah. famous uh, videos. And also you did a lot of... I wouldn't say like uh, a Cartier-Bresson kind of thing, but you also did a lot of videos about him. So I was wondering, uh, how was this evolution of your style? Uh, you know, how did, if, you, if you wanted to try out everything or if you got inspired or if you just, you know, got yourself into this kind of box and said, okay, I- I'm going to um, do, you know, the flesh into your face because I think it's, you know, it's, it's pushing me somewhere with my mm. skill. Oh, good question. Okay, so let me let me use an uh, analogy. So, so remember Martin when I stayed at your place, you had the the rings for the calisthenics at your house. Yes. Cool, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, uh, actually, one of my other passions is I'm actually really into like weightlifting and powerlifting. Like, you know, one rep max, deadlift, squats, you know, all that fun stuff. But then, you know, when quarantine hit, like, you know, all the gyms got closed. 
So I was only able to, um, so I was like, crap, all the gyms are closed. What am I going to do? So I actually started going to the park and actually started doing like bodyweight calisthenics. So taught myself how to do like muscle ups, chin ups on the rings, planches and stuff like that. And so like, did you, have you noticed that there's this like this war between like body weight versus weights? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I noticed there is like war. But I, I noticed like there are people who are heavily into one direction and there are other people who are heavily into things. Or or, or, or like Apple versus, you know, Android or kind of. whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like um so anyways, my, my analogy is like I kind of I kind of like this idea of street photography. Like you want to become like Batman. Like you have your you have your utility belt, you know? <laughs> and you know, like because Sometimes Batman wants to use the grappling hook or sometimes he wants to throw the smoke bombs or sometimes he wants to throw the little bad things, right? And I think it depends on the the context and the situation. And I think what actually happens is okay, and this is this is this is like is it okay if I just speak very like honestly and frankly? Oh yeah, sure. So like okay, first of all, I love Henri Cartier Bresson, Bruce Gilles. I I love all street photographers for the most part. And for me, it was just building up like trying out a little bit of everything and also incorporating them when need be. I think a lot of people who like, um, like, and this is where it's interesting for me to psychoanalyze photographers, like Henri Carter Brosson, I still love the guy to death. Like a lot of his best work is still undiscovered. It's most of his best work. Actually, it's quite complex layers, arabesques, curves and whatnot. But Henri Carter Brosson was just like a very shy, timid photographer slash human being. And like, you know his 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 personality was like he didn't really in my opinion i don't think he really had the guts to do something like bruce gilden to actually get like you know more into someone's face and stuff like that but also like uh with bruce gilden um like 90 of it is like like charm like I, people you know a lot of people say bruce gilden is an asshole i he's actually like i've met him in real life he's actually a very charming guy i think um the best way i heard the word to describe someone who's charming is somebody who is able to insult you but still make you feel good about yourself um, <laughs> and so you know when i first saw bruce gilden shooting with the flash i was actually more um interested not in like the technique but the way the images looked like when you see a street photograph shot head-on with a wide-angle lens with a flash it just kind of creates this like super epic like kind of film noir look especially you know someone smoking a cigarette you know i love film noir And so the the type of images you're able to create with the flash, it like blew my mind. I'm like, you're able to do that? And then, you know, obviously I'm scared shitless. So I'm like, <laughs> how can I actually do it? And then a lot of my early YouTube videos of me shooting street photography with the flash was me trying to teach myself the technique and share it with other people and realize that actually 99.9% of the people are actually quite cool with it. Uh, with the whole Henri Cartier-Bresson technique, you know, obviously a decisive moment candid is also good. So actually I just kind of, depending on the situation, like, you know, Sometimes I just want to capture kind of more from a distance, the decisive moment. Sometimes I want to get up and close and personal. Sometimes I want to like fill the, you know, shoot macro mode, fill the frame with them, like kind of shoot more of a street portrait. Sometimes I ask for permissions. Sometimes I do it without permission. And so I think that the, the Uber street photographer is the one who's able to use all techniques in all different situations. And there's even times that like, you know, I'm sure like in Prague too, right? There's sometimes there's, There's just it's like it's way too cold outside. There's still there's nobody walking outside. So like maybe you could just photograph the snow or photograph the footprints or photograph the architecture. And so I'm trying to expand like 
my personal definition of street photography and just photography in general. And I, I you know, and actually that's why I like your the name of your channel, All About Photography, because like I really do think that a lot of photographers like try like most photographers are very insecure people in my opinion and everyone tries to pick up their small niche and try to feel like they're the you know the king of the hill of their small little thing but i really think that if all photographers were able to embrace all forms of photography more more people would just be more productive photographers and just happier i think so expanding your utility belt yeah and is it also with the with the film because you you shot a lot of film right you also said buy film no megapixels yeah and then, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Uh, you shoot a lot of like a film color film black and white if i'm right and then you switched to uh you switched to black and white uh digital yeah so the um buy film not megapixels i got that from like um I forgot the guy who invented that. I think Eric Kim's famous tagline is probably buy books, not gear, or, or more recently, maybe like buy experiences, um, not gear or stuff. But then, yeah, so I think it was actually really important for me to try out all forms of photography because like, you know, I think all photographers will eventually be interested in experimenting with film at least once in their life, right? And then also, this is also fine too, like every photographer I know who gets serious about like street photography eventually wants to either try out shooting with a Leica or rangefinder, whether yeah. digital or film. Like it's 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 inevitable. Like every single photographer I know who's had a Fuji film X whatever or something eventually gets a Leica at one point and then they might sell it off and get it. and then and then actually the apex is you start out with like iPhone or a point and shoot, you get a bit DSLR, you get a big lens, you get the big grip, then you get like a Fuji or a Leica and then you actually end up to the summit which is probably like a Ricoh GR2 or a GR3. Um, but yeah, like, you know, and also I experimented shooting like medium format color and shooting this and that, but actually what I appreciate, like, cause, cause right now, like I, I far prefer, uh, shooting digital black and white because the problem was the technology in the past, even 2010, 2015, the in-camera JPEG settings weren't good enough to look as good as black and white film aesthetic and stuff like that. And also shooting black and white film or color film, it helped me actually, not look at the lcd screen so much so even now when i'm shooting i almost never chimp like I, i just shoot using the lcd screen but i never review my pictures and so shooting film certainly gives you the discipline that will help you make you a better digital photographer in my opinion and you know obviously you got all these hipsters like oh you know film is better than digital blah blah but then like this is my thought everyone loves tesla and electric cars right yeah how come no one says any love for electric cameras <laughs> like like it's crazy we're in the year 2021 i'm like why are you still driving a car that runs on gasoline and why are you still producing new cars that run on gasoline can you imagine if your iphone it needed to have like a gasoline generator to to run and so in some ways i think you know obviously film is great and you know it's i think it's essential for any photographer's evolutionary uh, purposes But ultimately, ultimately, I still think that actual digital photography is superior than film photography. And especially now with COVID and stuff like that, like, you know, there's issues like, you know, sending your film, getting a bag. And I've actually found that I've been able to be far more productive as um, shooting digital and even simple things with the Ricoh GR3, which is hugely advantageous, is like, you know, the, the macro mode on mm -hmm. the, the GR3. It's like so good. Like it can fo focus up to like three centimeters. And so... 
even photographing, you know, Seneca's baby hands, I'm able to get such crazy type of images that I wasn't able to get with any other type of camera. And so I think that, um, you know, shooting digital has actually simplified my life. And just shooting JPEG, I just shoot small size JPEG on the GR3 high contrast black and white. And even lately, I haven't even been using Lightroom. I just use Apple Photos because it's much quicker to load up the JPEG images. And, you know, I have a MacBook Pro. And, and surprisingly, I, I think I'm the only one who uses the touch bar to to, to flag the <laughs> my favorite pictures. Um, so for me, anything that could simplify your photographic life it, it's it's probably better. So you don't find it limiting sometimes because when you have your record you are set to JPEG black and white and then you see something in color, uh, do you, I would say, do you regret it sometimes? Like, well, I would like oh. to take it in color, but I can't because... Well, what I'll actually do is um, in the you back, me, you know, the adjustment button. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, you know, typically I have a high contrast black and white, but if I see something quickly I like in color, I'll just actually switch it to the the cross pot process JPEG mode if I just want to shoot a quick color shot. But this is actually um, the funny thing I've, I've realized, Martin, is that okay. So let's say you're out, you're shooting street photography, and you see like a girl in a red dress or something, and you're like, yeah. "Great, that would be a great street photograph in, in black and white." And there's actually been situations where I've actually had enough time to quickly shoot one in black and white, and then quickly switch it to cross process color mode and shoot one color. Kind of like John Myrovitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Joel Meyer was like, I could quickly shoot one in color and black and white so I could compare it both. Except you didn't have two Leicas with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just had one Rico, right? But then do you know what's actually the funny thing is I've actually realized that even if the color is really, really awesome or the color combination is really awesome, I almost, almost always prefer the black and white one because like this, this is just like my philosophical aesthetic thought is you see something that's really colorful and beautiful and you're like, wow, that color is so beautiful. I want to remember that color because that color is so impactful. And so you shoot it in color and then you review it afterwards. But when I shoot it in black and white, even something that's very colorful, when I review it, it becomes actually more interesting and mysterious to me because I could tell that the contrast or the tonality of the black and white is very interesting. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was like a really bright red, but then it actually renders more interestingly in black and white. And so one of my thoughts about photography is like, like for me, actually, I prefer, I still, you know, I've shot color black and white, you know, I've done both. Ultimately I'll still prefer black and white because it makes the world more mysterious. And if you shoot colorful scenes in black and white, it, it it's more difficult to make it interesting and also as a photographer looking at my own pictures it forces me to use my brain to try to remember what looked like in color which evokes my imagination and my my memories actually and so i think that's why people tend to like black and white photos for like old family memories because the sense of nostalgia is your brain trying to exercise the brain memory function to recall what it actually looked like in my opinion um and so in that case yeah like the, the photos, like, like, you know, like you already mentioned, like there have been some cases where, you know, I saw something super awesome in color, but I was only able to shoot the black and white. I look at the picture. And I'm like, oh, actually, it looks way better in black and white. So actually, all the times I thought I would have regretted not doing the color, I actually prefer the black and white. Interesting, right? Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, talking about, uh, we, we also talked about the pandemic and uh, everything that happened. What... Uh, what do you think about the state of street photography today? And is it is it still the same as when you started? What, what has changed in your eyes 
in, mm. the, in the street photography? Oh, that's that's actually a good one. Um, I would say actually the big shift is uh, this is this is my personal critique is street photographers now like they're too obsessed with Instagram and Instagram follower numbers. I think, um, and I th I think that's a bad thing. Like, um, for example, uh, you know, when I was when I was starting street photography, like. I started it seriously in like 2010, 2011. The only thing I think we had then was like Flickr. You remember Flickr, right? Uh, I, I remember it, but I never used it. Yeah, not not really, right? And so Flickr, it, was, it wasn't about how many followers you had, but it was about how many faves you got, which is like likes, right? So I think the problem is, uh, you know, there's so many talented street photographers today. And I think I think more and more people are entering street photography, which I think is a very good thing. But I think the bad thing about contemporary street photography is um, uh, too many uh, street photographers are chasing the Instagram popularity fame kind of thing. And I think that's a bad thing insofar much as I think it limits uh, street photographers creativity because. Uh, okay, so imagine like you're 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 only looking at pictures on your iPhone, let's say on Instagram, whatever, right? The screen is so small. If you want to make an effective composition that'll give you a lot of likes and followers, it tends to be minimal, black and white, underexposed type of pictures. You know, and I, I love those type of images, but the problem is, it tends to favor a kind of a generic look. Like my friend Charlie Kirk calls it, like IKEA street photography, okay. where you know it's like nice shots of light, you know. Dude walking by in like a top hat. So or I feel like it sends a wrong trend for photographers what to look for, like, what to what to aim for. Yeah, like it 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 favors too much of um people just trying to maximize. I mean, this this is not the fault of any photographers, but I think this is just the the technology is that you know we're we're all social beings and social media is like crack cocaine. So anything that gives you more likes or uh, followers, you're going to optimize your uploads and your photography for that, right? And so in some ways you become less risky because you kind of understand what the formula is to get you a, you know, uh, a bunch of likes and followers. So like even what I found was the best thing I did for my own personal photographic evolution was like, I think in 2017, I actually deleted my Instagram. I think I had like 60,000 followers or something, but I just, I realized it was kind of fucking with my head in a bad way is that I would become risk averse to uploading what I thought might be more interesting photos or street photos. But I kind of, you know, low key knew that my followers wouldn't like it because it's so different. Right. And so uh, and, you know, also other trends in street photography tend to be like, you know, you know, everyone's still kind of on the Alex Webb bandwagon where it's like, you know, like lots of colors and lots of random hands and layers and stuff like that. And, then, you know, that type of photography is very important and interesting. But then it becomes more of like this, like people are trying to, you know, trying to flex that, oh, you know, I could do the layers and I could do the skills and stuff like that. But then it becomes more about the technique and the composition rather than, oh, are you really shooting street photor photographs which like speak to your soul or somehow reveal something about your personality or, or how you see the world? Because like even when I started, you know, shooting street portraits, you know, with permission, people are like, that's not street photography. You can't talk to your subject. But I'm like, yo, like I'm the most social person I know. I like to talk to people. But then other people are like, no, you're not allowed to do that because that's not the way I do it. Um, um there's there's a nice there's a nice art piece or a quote from the street artist barbara kruger it's like this this image right of a guy yelling and he's like how dare you not be me <laughs> and i think that tends to be a lot of the 
the thing that happens in street photography where everyone thinks that their way of doing street photography is the best and the only way and they become intolerant towards the other way the other people do it but like for me i'm like yo i'm like the baskin robbins of street photography i'm like you can have all the different flavors, you know. I like like imagine if you could only have vanilla ice cream for the rest of your life. That would suck. You know, I, I like only eat vanilla ice cream, but I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> or or Martin, imagine if someone forced you to only eat like mint chocolate chip ice cream. I don't know if you how you feel about mint chocolate, but I know some people who hate it. Yeah. But I like, like I like it. it that there's like cotton candy, you know, there's cookies and cream. There's some people who eat it with a cone, without a cone. And, you know, so like my whole ethos of like the whole open source, open concept is that you know, the more people who who could get into the street photography game and the the do it differently, I think uh, the better. Uh, talking about uh, talking about your style, I just got uh, this. Uh, you know, I I wonder if you have uh, if you ever got into trouble with you know either shooting people in your face or or some other things. And I think I read a post from you or watched a YouTube video, and you also said. You oh, were yeah, held yeah. at the gunpoint. So was it something yeah, yeah. connected to your style? <laughs> Actually, it's, it's, it's funny. So the the whole thing um, being uh, held at gunpoint. So, um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you all the stories. But then the the first story about being held at gunpoint was, I was actually, you know, vacationing and. You know, I was actually teaching a street photography workshop in uh, Mexico City, and actually everything in Mexico City was great. Like, I will still go back to Mexico City in a heartbeat. But then it was just that one crazy freak accident where me and Cindy are walking down the middle of the street at like 3 p.m. on a busy intersection. You know, I'm just walking with Cindy, and there's a dude on a motorcycle who's just kind of awkward in the middle of the street. I'm trying to walk. I'm like, oh, this guy's kind of in my way. And he comes towards me, pulls out the chrome, and he says in Spanish, essentially, "Give me your shit." And then me and Cindy were like. And I grabbed Cindy's hand, jetted the opposite way, and looked over my shoulder. He put the gun back, and then he he drove off. So that was actually that's a funny story in the sense that, you know, me and Cindy were like, "Oh shit, we should have died there. We didn't die. Like, if we had died at the moment, what would we regret in our life?" And it it wasn't you know my photography, it wasn't my career, it wasn't this that financial blah blah. It was like, oh, we wish we would have had a kid. So that was actually the impetus to to have Seneca start trying to have Seneca. Um, which is totally hilarious. So it's like a near-death experience could promote the life-giving experience. Okay. But in terms of um, but in terms of the you know my other you know worst street photography experience, not 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 too much. But then the 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 memorable one being is uh, I was in Mex- I was in um, Tokyo in like 2011, and I shot really close street photography with a flash with the Leica film Leica with the flash, and then this guy like looked you know super you know cigarette really badass. And then actually after shooting him, he turned around. He just kicked me super hard. It kicked me so hard. And then this time I was using the the off-camera flash. He kicked me so hard that the flash flew out of my hands. And it hit the ground <laughs> and it broke and like, fell into like a million pieces. Uh, another one was I was in Toronto, Chinatown. And I photographed this like old Chinese guy on a bike. And then afterwards he turned around. It like karate ch- chopped me at the back of my neck. <laughs> But fortunately I have a very muscular neck so I didn't feel it. Um But, you know, for the most part, you know, haven't had too many. It, like, it's like one of those things that we always catastrophize in your head, like how bad it will be. But 99.9% of the time, it's fine. Um, you know, once I had the the cops called on me when I was, I think I was in Melbourne. And then, you know, lady called the cops on me. And she's like, this man tried to assault me with a camera. And the cops was like, showed up. They're like, 
wait, so did he hit you? He's like, no, he shoved his camera in my face. And then the guy's just like, yo, just tell the lady you're sorry. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then she's like, put him, put him to jail. He's like, hey, you know, hey, lady, you're in a public place and he can make photographs. And it's like, just, just to tell the tell the nice lady you're sorry. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I just kind of walked away and the lady's like, huffing. But that, that was a good experience because I feel like shooting street photography, it's like kind of like driving a car. It's It's not a question of, if you're going to get into a car accident or not, it's like, when are you going to get into a car accident? And then once it happens, are you kind of prepared to, to deal with it? So in the context of street photography, you know, all the times that people have yelled at me, called me a pedophile, whatever, right? It's just, you know, I think the big thing is just kind of like to stand your ground and just like apologize. Don't be an asshole about it. Say, hey, you know, I saw a nice moment or, you know, um, I like your style or I like your look. You know, I'm just, I'm just out here making photographs, you know, um, this is my business card or this is my website and stuff like that. And then it's it's not to be too – this is a pro tip, not to be too apologetic because sometimes when people apologize too much, people will actually take more advantage of you okay. than if you just hold your ground, apologize once, hey, look, I'm sorry, and then actually just apologize quickly and just move on. Oh. Because actually technically if someone grabs your shoulder and tries to yank you back, they've technically committed assault on you – and then technically you could sue them and then you could get the money and then buy a bunch of Leicas, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I would like to talk to you about your project because I have a, what I have here is the, Oh the yeah. And you got the last, last edition. I, I have the 30 out of 30 and oh, yeah. uh, you don't really publish uh, too many books, do you? No, not, not, not recently. No. So, uh, one thing about the project is because when when I look at uh, other photography books and they, for example, are about some kind of documentary type of uh, situation, let's say they document an event or something, but w with the suits, it feels like uh, you could still keep going, right? So I'm just wondering if publishing a book is something that closes this chapter for you and then when you see someone in the suite you're like now I'm, I'm you know past that you know <laughs> oh, what i actually, mean uh, yeah yeah no, I, I know that, that's actually a really great question so as of late i've actually been publishing more like pdf e-zines like e-magazine kind of things um i actually recently downloaded um there's there's a there's something on the mac called affinity i think publisher it's only like 25 bucks essentially it's like you know a way cheaper version of um Adobe uh, InDesign, and it's it's way easier to use. I used to use iBooks, pub, uh, iBooks Author before, but I think uh, Apple actually discontinued it. And it's been hugely fun for me to um, to to publish uh, digitally PDFs because it's way faster. You know, obviously way cheaper. It's 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 kind of more open, and you know anyone around the world could download it. Um, the Suits project was actually very uh, special to me because it's probably like by far my best like street photography project I've done. It, it took the most time um i worked on it from like 2010 to like 2017 so i almost worked on it for like seven years and like 99.9 percent .9 of the pictures shot on that project is like you know film like a either an m6 or an mp 35 mil um lens you know kodak portrait 400 a lot of the pictures of the flash so there's a, a consistent aesthetic look and um 
and you know it was shot all around the world you know photographing all forms of suits i mean the impetus behind the project was you know yeah i'm so lucky i've only been employed for nine months of my life i've been self-employed ever since that nine months being employed i felt like a prisoner i felt like a slave like a suit right like a me- suit like i was never wear. i had never had to wear a suit but it was kind of like a metaphorical suit and you know it's the idea that oh you know once i get a nice job you know make a bunch of money i'll be happy blah blah, blah. but actually you end up being pretty miserable um and now so like i have a special thing for guys in suits um and so yeah i'm always on the lookout for suits and i always photograph suits whenever i see it and you know when i'm with my street photography friends like eric kind of suit you gotta photograph him right <laughs> and like my my philosophy on books is um you know i think the the bias in photography is that like okay you work on this pro- photo project for like 10 20 30 years and you make one book that's ultimate and definitive and can never be edited blah blah right but i'm kind of more of like i kind of like the idea of like addition so maybe it's better to think of publishing a photo book like an iphone right imagine if they only made the iphone 2g <laughs> Okay. And they never updated it, right? You remember, like there was like no copy and paste or no nothing, right? Or they just stopped the iPhone four. Yeah, we only had them five. in Czech Republic from I guess three G. <laughs> okay, so you you remember the iPhone four, right? Yeah, yeah. You remember how small it was, right? Yeah, yeah. So imagine if they're just like Apple's, like, yo, we just created the perfect iPhone. We're never gonna update it. We're never gonna change it. It's gonna be like this for the rest of your lives, right? So for me. I was actually much more about. Did you watch the Zack Snyder cut? Like, uh, I I have a baby, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, okay. So, um, I think I think this is a good analogy because I remember. Okay, I'm a huge Zack Snyder fan. I, I watched the movie 300 like a trillion times and stuff like that, and I like violence and stuff like that. So when I first heard that he was going to make the original Justice League, but he dropped out and. I think I watched the original Justice League on a plane. I was like, why is this movie so bad? Like, I was so, so, so disappointed by the original Justice League. I'm like, dude, this was, like, supposed to be the best movie of all time. But, like, it really, like, it was so bad. I wasn't quite sure why I didn't like it so much. But anyways, and then, you know, five years passes, right? And then I see that the HBO Max, they have the the new Jackson, uh, Zack Snyder cut. Okay. Now, and, um, <laughs> and then actually, uh, the... This is how they how they will do it. Whenever the baby was napping, I watched it. It, it took me two. I think it took me two weeks to finish it. Right? Okay. It now like I can. Now I can understand. Okay. Okay. So, anyways, so when I watched it, and I I recommend you to watch it if you have um if you have two weeks. Um, <laughs> it's 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 so good. Like it's like a trillion times better than the original. And actually, I consider the new Justice League Zack Snyder cut to be. A magnum opus for any superhero movie. Like, I think it's actually better than almost any other Marvel superhero movie that I've watched. Okay. I think the only thing that comes close is like maybe the the original Iron Man. Maybe I actually really like that one. But be, beyond that, so it was so great. And what I thought was so cool was, you know, the fact that many many years later they were able to essentially take old footage, kind of remaster, and then actually the the difference between the old version and the new version. The old version, uh, the original version. The, the director he tried to make it too like funny like even the color grading it was very like rosy cheerful and more saturated and vibrant but the Zack Snyder cut when Zack Snyder did it it like his color grading it was like super dark like super you know heavy super moody 
and the, and also the the tone of the film is much darker like you know the one the you know the electric dude his dad dies and stuff like that so it's like it's like a much cooler movie but it's a much more beautiful movie and then it inspired me because like let's say even in the context of photo books if i ever wanted to do a suits volume two or whatever right is that like either i could make a totally new book with the same subject or i could take the old book re-update or refashion it and rechange it and also like you know maybe even re-expand it and i actually think that this is where i'm also for um doing more pdf e books or you know pdf zines or whatever where the 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 new justice league it's like what four or five hours but the only like ain't nobody gonna sit in this in a movie theater to four four to five hours right but this yeah. is where i think that streaming is so good and like hbo max is awesome because it allows you to break out of the procrustean bed of that like two hour one and a half hour movie for theaters and now that online streaming has come and disrupted the whole market you could you know you can in theory have a four or five you can have a 10 hour movie in theory so that's even where i think um publishing ebooks is great because uh when you're printing um a print book uh the cost the costs are much more prohibitive right yeah so let's say if i do another version of suits i could have like 500 images of guys in suits in it um, the reason I wanted to do the the print book was we're in Vietnam and we had a local printer we really liked. And also I loved about the suits, the, the one you have in your hands, the fold flat design. Yeah, yeah. It's actually something yeah, I really I liked. Well. Like, yeah, because, you know, like you, you typically like, you know, you look at a photo book, right? And there's always the gutter and you have to always like kind of fold it and kind of like break it in half to to look at it. And also like, you know, who knows what if one day a huge EMP hits the world and all our digital information is lost. Yeah, you know who nice else also has it? Who? The Anukatya in the decisive moment has oh, the really? full flat oh. opening. Hey, oh look at me! I'm Anu Kartier Prasad status. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, the pages are quite thick, right? Yeah. So did did you? Why did you pick this uh, material for the paper? Yeah, because um, I think. Uh, it's funny a lot of academics like to use this word now that cindy's an academic i can say it. They, they have you heard of the word materiality okay so the material of the thing is very important right so um this is just like a simple thing if the paper is too thin it actually feels very cheap disposable it doesn't feel very good quality right the thicker the paper is and then the heavier the paper is generally tends to feel more substantial and you know solid and so it's kind of like um this is also kind of the the stupid thing right but for example if you compare a fuji film x100 camera to a like a m digital camera mm-hmm. the like m camera it's way heavier it's more solid there's more brass or whatever material they use and it feels more quote quote quality technically it's better to have a lighter camera for speed photography because it hurts your your neck less but it's it's undeniable that things that are like heavier and thicker and more condensed and more like you know material it feels better in your hands and also part of it is like the whole robustness too is that like the thicker the paper is the more longevity it's going to have if the papers are too thin like i was recently at the airport and i i hadn't been to an airport in a long time and i saw the new magazines have you ever seen the new magazines they're like the paper is so yes thin. super thin yeah yeah like it's like toilet paper it's like half ply toilet paper right and then like it doesn't feel that kind of quality anymore. And especially that, you know, I knew that um, this this project was so meaningful to me. It took me so long that I wanted to use essentially the best materials possible to create a book that hopefully would uh, last through the ages, you know? And 
your approach to uh, photography books is kind of like you publish less books, but more expensive, more kind of like limited kind of thing. Yeah. And then yeah. you publish a lot of like free stuff, like your, was it like America or something? How, how was it called? Uh, yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. you published it as a PDF, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so actually that's um, another pro tip um, I'll share with you, Martin, and also your, your listeners is um, like, okay, <laughs> this is a fact. Like, I, like nobody likes to spend money on anything, right? Like, we all like free stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, you know, and I think, I mean, this is, this is my thought, is um, if you kind of want to be more effective in photography, like, especially in photography entrepreneurship, um, my motto is always, like, you know, give away 99% of your stuff for free and also try to make it really good. But the, the 1% of the things that you're going to actually, whether it be physical goods, like haptic industries, we make the Henri straps and the Eric Kim straps, like do a, a smaller run of it, but also make it very expensive and more luxury, if that makes sense. Okay. So, um, and that seems to be far more profitable and more worthwhile than trying to like, you know, nickel and dime people for every every little thing um and especially like so like even when you think about photography books now they're they're almost kind of like luxury products and i i really do encourage people if they're going to self-publish their own book or even find a publish whatever and actually i i recommend people to self-publish instead of finding publishers like this is like real talk the facts i learned even when i met some really famous photographers it's crazy mark a lot of these famous photographers who get booked deals to publish a photo book, whether hardcover or whatever, they had to front $30,000 of their own money. Oh, really? And once a publisher starts selling it, they start to make back that $30,000 or whatever. But inevitably, like photographers are way too over ambitious. Like they make like, let's say a print copy of like 300 or 500. They can only sell like 75 or 100 of them and they have like 400 books in storage and they're like twenty thousand dollars in debt in the hole and then so it makes so much more sense to have like a very small run like you know like you print your own photo book you only you don't need that many you can make a print edition of 10 20 30 you know i did i did 30 uh just use the best quality of your products and then the people who are really really like a fan or really enthusiastic about your photography will pick up a copy and with the pdf digital free stuff it's also good to just like kind of put it out there because I also think that there's this negative bias that like people, oh, you know, a PDF book isn't as legit as a, a print book. I think in some ways a PDF book is better than uh, a print book in terms of the, the accessibility and stuff like that. But I think I think it's, it's best to have both. So I think when in doubt, you know, publish physical things or physical products, but you don't have to make a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and... And yeah, like it's, it's, it's certainly like a labor of love. My, my sister, Annette, who you, you met, yeah. um, she actually hand illustrated the front and back cover and the insides and stuff like that. Creating a photo book and, you know, publishing and self-publishing or whatever. It's really a labor of love where like, I think if you could do it and you could just break even with the printing distribution, shipping costs, like you're successful. As long as you don't go into debt for publishing your book, I think you're in the clear because um yeah it's a really labor love my my sister annette kim she who also did the this memento mori shirt which is available in the haptic shop on my website um and also the the front cover of suits she hand created it all in illustrator so it was a great process where 
you know, my sister, she designed the front cover, the inside covers and spreads. And also um, Cindy, she helped organize the whole project in InDesign and also collaborated with the, the local printers in Vietnam. And, you know, then obviously me, my photos and dealing with the edit and publishing and, you know, selling and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was, it was a really great experience that brought me and my sister and Cindy uh, closer together. And that's where the whole um, thing with um, Haptic Industries has been great, where it's like a creative enterprise that is able to engage, you know, my sister's artistic talents, also uh, Cindy's uh, logistical skills and also like uh, my photography. Yeah. Uh, talking about books, do you still uh, educate yourself? Do you have any favorite photography books? Oh, so um, uh, I got I got a, a photo book recently from my friend uh, Charlie Kirk. It's called Katil Var, K-A-T-I-L space V-A-R. It's essentially, it's a, a photo project he did in um, Istanbul in uh, Turkey during the, the protests. So that was the last photo book that I got. Really, really great images. Um, lately, actually, uh, more recently, so, you know, me and Cindy, we've been living like a semi-nomadic lifestyle and I'm slowly, it's so funny, I still have like five huge boxes of photo books at Cindy's mom's basement, okay. basement somewhere, still just kind of like locked up. But uh, I've been trying to become more minimalist um, uh, recently and not uh, procuring any more things. So actually what I've been doing for visual inspiration has been interesting. So. Um, I went to the magnumphotos.com website, the the new one and the old one, and I literally looked through um, the whole catalog of images of every single photograph Henri Cartier-Bresson has ever shot. There's like 10,000 of them. Okay. It took me like, it took me three hours over for two days, and I, I looked through all of them straight, and I made some, I think if you Google Henri Cartier-Bresson, Eric Kim PDF or something, composition, yeah, I, I made like a few. Yeah, also drew over that, right? Yeah, you drew over them. You, you saw those. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's cool, right? And so I was like, whoa, that's so awesome. Like I could just see all these great photographers' images online, and I think that's where Magnum is great. Um, and also recently, uh, I kind of got like bored of um, photography, books and photos in general and I actually started finding more inspiration um, watching cinema okay so i actually if you go on my blog um, i recently rewatched um the the old blade runner and the new blade runner and i kind of did like a, a comparison between them and th this is my thought is there's so much great composition and inspiration that you could get from a uh, cinema mm -hmm. actually even in some ways much more so than photography because um like you think about it this way, like they spend millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to make a film. They're going to make sure the cinematography is damn good. Right. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, photographers, you're like, you know, like, oh, you know, obviously there's, there's huge artistic merit to a photographer doing photos, but then you cannot be as precise in photography because especially if you're shooting street photography, it's so random. But when you watch a film, everything is so controlled and perfect. So the compositions they can make are such a perfect, beautiful composition. And then the way I see even watching a film or cinema, essentially it's like watching a high FPS photo book, right? Like okay. it's like you got a bunch of images. So even what I'll do is um, I'll watch movies on my laptop and I'll pause it and I'll do a screenshot every time I see a nice composition. And then, you know, I'll sometimes draw, I'll draw over it using the screenshot tool or whatever and publish to my blog. And so um, I find a huge amount of, inspiration actually watching films i mean i i think it's, it's hard though because most of the modern movies being made today 
uh, I don't think the cinematography is that that interesting. Um, but I tend to gravitate kind of more towards film noir. I'm actually rethinking about rewatching some old films I like, like uh, Kurosawa. Akira Kurosawa, Seven yeah, Samurai. Okay. You, you watch Seven Samurai? So it's kind of long. So it's like it's like four hours, right? And I feel like Barbarian. It's, it's, it's like I think it's like two and a half. It, it it me for me it it feels like so long <laughs> like yeah well i i would say uh no i think uh seven samurai it's not i think it's i think it's less than two hours i think it might be like hour and a half or something but then there's some i still remember there's some scenes from the movie like when the when the it's young two, teenage 207 boy... minutes so it's three oh. hours something three and a oh, half hours long. okay it's pretty long well okay. like sometimes what i'll do with movies uh, i'll watch it in like a 15 minute chunk Baby starts crying. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. baby. You know, take care of the baby. So it could take you like two weeks to watch, but it's fine. But then I still remember there's some cinematography in Seven Samurai. It's like I'm thinking about. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Right? The cinematography is so like so much ten million times better than anything I've ever seen. Like the circular compositions, even a simple one like Golden Triangle, the kid like laying in the field of flowers. It's so beautiful. And then like. You know, it's it's still a black and white film, and then somehow they're able to make the lighting look super epic. So I, I'm thinking about rewatching um, uh, Seven Samurai, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm also like you too, Mark. I get easily bored, so like I'll watch it for like 10 minutes. I'm kind of bored. I'll go off and do something else. I might revisit in a few days afterwards. But I really do think that um, watching old school cinema, like you know, Citizen Kane, any of the old black and white film noir, like uh, Third Man stuff like that, tends to be like sometimes I'll just watch movies on mute. And just look at the images, and that's actually like, you know, a much cheaper, accessible way instead of just buying photo books. Okay. Apart from books, do you have any, I would say, standard photography goals like uh, exhibitions or something? Okay, so this is actually interesting, Martin. Where um, it sounds, it sounds so, uh, it sounds so egotistical, but. I've achieved all of my photo goals in my life, which was like, okay, when I was like 18 years old or like 18, 19, 20 years old, like I had dreams like, you know, I want to travel the world. I want to like, you know, street, street photography in Paris, like Henri Carter Brissot. I want to get a Leica. I want to, uh, you know, have a solo exhibition. I want to publish a photo book. I want to become famous, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, you know, make my through photography, whatever it may be. Right. And like, actually almost like, I had this epiphany when I was in Vietnam, 2017, which is like, man, that's almost like four years ago, right? I reached yeah. all of my life goals. And like, for me, I was like on top of the mountain. And I was like, I actually kind of got like low key depressed or existential dread where I'm like, I reached all of my life goals as a photographer. Now what? Okay. And there's no, there's, there's almost like nothing more for me to, to, to feel like I need to achieve or, reach for but actually then i kind of tried to take it back to basics where i started reading more books on philosophy aesthetics i started studying like calligraphy uh studying renaissance art all art in general sculpture uh poetry reading poetry and stuff like that and like recently like in in, in zen philosophy they call this child's mind or beginner's mind have you heard of it oh yeah so 
like taking things back to the basics and seeing the world again fresh from like a child's eyes or like even actually when i first started this is actually the irony where it's like full circle my first camera was like a canon powershot sd600 like like a 1.2 megapixel digital camera right mm-hmm. and that's when i actually felt the most creative where that's before i knew any genres or before good you were or restricted bad or- Yeah, like before you even knew what a good photo was or a bad photo was. And this was even before social media and like before what, you know, what comes in. It was just pure experimentation, just pure fun. And then, you know, over the time, you kind of get corrupted, whatever. So like it's almost like trying to do a hard reset and like start like like, you know, even whenever I get a new phone or I get a new laptop, I try not to restore it from the backup. I try to actually do a fresh reboot because it re-challenges you to see like, oh, is this still is this? old notion that i always believed in. is this still a useful notion or not and especially i think this is the best thing about having a kid kids experience everything with brand new fresh eyes the first time seneca just saw something he just learned peekaboo right like it's so inspirational like the first time he sees a tree or a dog like and so i'm like wow what i'm trying to do is going back to that purity of vision where i'm not putting up boundaries of, oh this is a good photo that's not photo, or that's cliche that's not cliche i just like i just photograph everything and just kind of figure it out later Okay, that's interesting. How do you think uh, the pandemic will uh, impact street photography? Do you think some, mm. you know, things will change in terms of uh, behavior or standards, let's say, what people do, what people don't do and stuff? Mm. Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you, you know the Robert Capo quote, if your photos aren't good enough, you're not close enough. <laughs> yeah, you're not close enough. <laughs> Yeah, like now you don't want someone to cop in your face and give you COVID, right? So, <laughs> so everyone um, is just gonna get the the telephoto lens. <laughs> no, I, I actually, well, um, so I did a, a street photography workshop recently in uh, Chicago, and actually, surprisingly, I was able to shoot some pretty good street portraits really close with the Ricoh GR3, and uh, I actually was able to shoot this really great portrait of this woman with this beautiful eyes, and she actually has a face mask on, but her face mask had like these like jewels on it so i kind of created like a nice little starry pattern with black and white and and so i think that um and actually like i was probably one of the few photographers i personally knew that was still shooting street photography when the pandemic first hit because like truth be told like i'm like i'm not that like when even when covid first hit i wasn't really that scared of it like i was i was i wasn't that risk averse so i was i was shooting street photography the whole time when there's still no one on the streets and so in some ways I think the pandemic, it's actually a good thing for street photography because it shows how important street photography is. Like, I don't know about you, Martin. Like, did you ever, like, when pandemic first hit, did you ever look at your old photos before pandemic or like before no one had face masks on? Oh, yeah. And did then, you like, feel like it was your duty as a photographer to document this kind of thing? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, because it was so funny because, like, before pandemic hit, no one would have predicted covid to have such an effect like this would have ever happened right so like i remember you know pre-covid the whole thing in street photography is like oh like everyone's always on their phones these you know this is so boring right and now we're like oh to even go outside of your house and do anything is such a privilege <laughs> so even now when i'm out just like even leaving the house and just doing anything and you know now like i don't know how it's in check right now but then in um in the states or in rhode island like you know i'm fully vaccinated most of my friends i know are fully vaccinated like Life is kind of going back to normal. Like you could go to an indoor bar. Yeah, I'm gonna get vaccinated in like two days or something. We're oh, kind cool. of slower in this. Yeah. Well, like in in uh, Prague right now, or like 
are indoor dining stuff like still open or is it closed or how's it so like we just uh finished uh the lockdown few few weeks ago or like two weeks ago or something so it's slowly reopening and then you can go to a restaurant if you are vaccinated or if you have a negative test and th- this basically uh, applies to a lot of things here oh okay so yeah so so exactly so i think street photography is it's really a privilege i think to just <laughs> be a part of society and do anything and so even when I was shooting street photography during COVID, um, I, w- I would actually do a lot of like grocery street photography because like everything was closed except grocery stores because that's like, you know, a necessity, right? So like I was shooting street photography inside like the Chinese supermarket with everyone with a face mask and stuff like that. And actually ended up becoming an interesting challenge and actually kind of a good thing where the irony is when you have a face mask on and you're shooting street photography with other people with face masks, people aren't really bothered that much because a you kind of look like a ninja and then (laughs) like when someone has a face mask on you can't really identify them they become kind of anonymous so like no one's really going to come up to you like oh did you take my picture and also because of the social distancing thing like you know (laughs) like you imagine if you took a street photo of someone they got really close to you it's like hey did you take my photograph and then like no one's gonna want to touch you or like (laughs) yeah so some ways it's easier to shoot street photography now with the whole pandemic and COVID thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, one question, one more question about photography is if you, and this is a question from Samuel Lintaro, uh, the street life photography channel. Oh yeah. What's up? What's up, Sam? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he watched, Sam before, street life. but uh, I'm not sure if he's watching right now. Anyways. So he says, if, you could travel back in time to the moment before starting your uh, blog and your photography. Would you do something differently, if anything? Oh, yeah, I would do totally tons of things. Oh, yeah. So um, shout out to to Martin and also uh, Sam Street Life. Sam Street Life. Um, <laughs> I think his, his yeah, these, these two guys are definitely killing it with the YouTubies. Um, but uh, yeah, I have, I have lots of pieces of advice. I would, a lot of things I would do differently. Um, so, um, th- this is just, um, I, I, I just, I can just speak random stuff, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. So my biggest regret is I think I spent too much time on social media at the time. It was only Facebook, right? Facebook and Twitter. Now it's, I guess it's Instagram. Um, but like, this is my advice. 90. Okay. So let's say you're, your your energy is let's say your time or your effort it, it, it's out of a hundred right hundred percent okay I would really put eighty to ninety percent of your efforts on blogging and then like ten to twenty percent of your efforts on uh, YouTube okay and just just ignore social media which is Facebook Instagram and then everyone ho- hopefully should know that Instagram is owned by Facebook so I call it I call it Facebookgram. Um, <laughs> Or, you know, no one uses Twitter really anymore or anything else. So it's really, um, I would I would say the best advice, like this is, this sounds like the worst advice, but I think it's also the best advice. And I think this even applies today. I think the best advice is like, just delete your Instagram. It's like, it's bad for your psyche. I think it's bad for your photography. And it's also bad for your entrepreneurship. Because if you put all the effort you put into social media back to your blog, which self-hosted, you know, um, WordPress.org, you know, register on Bluehost.com, whatever. I think YouTube is still good, but like, even this is the the, the truth about YouTube is 
YouTube keeps changing the algorithm. So that's why there's so much fewer, fewer views for uh, everyone and subscribers now. Um, I'm lucky because I started YouTube like way, way back in the game where the only video camera was the original GoPro. And then this is before there was ads or anything on YouTube. So like, I was just kind of lucky that when I started, there was no one. But I think honestly, if I started YouTube today, like I wouldn't be able to gain a mass following, at least on YouTube, because, you know, right now, like I'm almost intimidated. Like YouTube's almost too good. Like, but even now, like I have like the, like the most rudimentary video. I just, I just use iMovie and I just drag in the clips. That's, that's like pretty much it. Like I would be intimidated to start. I would say still ironically, the future is uh, blogging because blogging is still open source. Um, also, other, other advice I would give to to photographers is um, don't um, don't trap yourself within uh, a genre. So, Martin, you're pretty smart. It's about photography. That could be about anything photography, which is awesome. Um, and also to Samuel, street life is uh, like um, for for you to not just do street photography, but like you know, people are gonna want to know your what your life philosophy is on like you know just like anything. So it's it's less about the quote quote brand. It's more about the individual. So even like I'm curious what Martin has to say about, you know, Japanese anime or Pokemon or okay. I don't know, maybe or like even Samuel Street Life. If like like, oh, Sam, I'm interested in what you have for breakfast or what's your favorite coffee or what kind of other anime or films you're into. So like it's not about the brand. It's about you as the individual. So it's like think of yourself as a photographer. You're kind of like the rock star and you're kind of the the, the like even even Apple like. It's not about Apple. It was about Steve Jobs. Like, you know, Apple yeah. was just the offshoot of Steve Jobs. But then now that Steve Jobs is dead, all the new stuff that Apple makes is like, in my opinion, like kind of lame. Like not as cool as it was when Steve Jobs was uh, still alive. And even Tesla. It's not about Tesla. It's about Elon Musk, right? Like everyone loves Elon Musk. Like, you know, Tesla is just the offshoot of Elon Musk. Same thing with SpaceX. Um, and so don't only talk about photography or street photography or stuff like that talk about everything like talk about your personal philosophy on life and stuff like that and actually this is the irony too this is martin you said that like oh also eric kim's also like a philosopher right yeah so like how like i'm, I'm gonna ask you martin like why, why would you kind of consider me like philosopher or think about the the philo philosophical side of things well i mean because of the things you're posting mostly like talking about uh I would say in general, when you talk about life in uh, in in this kind of like manner, you would you would probably call that like in Czech you would say like philosophizing. I don't know if that's the word in English, but uh, doing like uh, thinking about this. So I felt like you are in this in this uh, kind of stage because like uh, when I look at your blog, but also your YouTube, uh, there is a considerable shift in the form of your content, right? So Uh, so this is how you actually approach those platforms and uh, you know the videos I found you uh, f for the first time used to be the videos about composition and uh, also other other things and also there is someone asking hey Eric uh, you ever think is going back to doing your studies on the master's photography loved your series on Vinogrand, Bab, Constantine oh, I miss them thank you So, what, so what, 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 what about what, this type of name? content? What's what, what's his name? It's Ravi Dantas. Okay, R Dantas, a sexy name. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely going back to the masters. I think, uh, I think, I mean, maybe this is where I could use like some of your guys' help. Is that like, I I think I've like 
I've almost covered all the masters that I personally know. Like, <laughs> I don't know any more like dead photographers that whose whose work is quite good. I think I just need to like maybe go back and just kind of like dig a little bit further. Uh, I'm also thinking um, I started a series too, and I'm thinking about continuing. It's like masters of just like art in general. So like, uh, do you know the Bauhaus? The Bauhaus movement. Yeah. Um, uh, so even like. Yeah, so like Laszlo uh, Moholy Nagy, he was like one of the, the OG Bauhaus dudes. He was he was a photographer, but also a printer and a painter and architect and all these other things. And so I'm thinking about expanding the the learning from the masters to um, great question by the way, uh, expanding the notion to to all all artists in general. Oh, and also so going back to the so uh, yeah, so to answer his question, yeah, I'll, I'm going to continue the series and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna like yeah, I'll probably just do like a series like. You know Ridley Scott, like even famous directors that I like. the The new one, the Blade Runner twenty four nineteen. His name is uh, Denis B or something like that. He's actually really good. I, I didn't realize he was so good. So maybe I'll do a series on him. Um, and oh yeah, going back to the advice on just like doing things differently in street photography or just my blog and everything, is that like don't just talk about photography, but also talk about like philosophy and other random stuff. Because like certain point, I'm like. I've talked about everything about photography I want for now. I just want to talk about other random stuff I'm interested in, right? So like okay. uh, photography, philosophy, life, death, uh, cinema, you know, poetry, rapping. I got really into powerlifting. I started doing video, like fitness videos, you know, me flexing, talking about muscle, eating meat, powerlifting. And it's so funny because like people are like, what, like what, what the fuck? Like why are you, why are you posing, posting photos of you deadlifting or you're posing without your shirt on? But then actually I started getting new followers like my friend Soren who, who's into photography, but he's also really into fitness. So ironically, I've been able to expand my network, uh, more in my influence to like other kind of random niches. And then, or like, you know, some people they are like, oh, you know, who come to my workshops and spend good money to come to my, my workshop. They're like, oh, you know, Eric, you know, I love your photography, but actually it's really your your philosophy, which actually really drew me in. So, you know, the the workshop experience is not just talk about photography, but like more philosophical notions on photography. So I call this notion um, cross pollination, where the best way to become the most epic version of you possible is to take all the different random interests you have and just kind of recombine and re configure them in interesting ways that's okay. just not just like photography but like you know photography and coffee i don't know photography and fitness but like and the great thing with photography now that the, the iphone is the most commonly used uh, camera on the planet you could really recombine photography into anything in life which i think is is super awesome and you know like maybe even something i'm thinking about doing more is like because you know now a lot of us are growing up we're having kids stuff like that like doing more like how to be a photographer with a kid Right. Because like a lot okay. of people, that, that, that's why your video has been so cool, because like there's so many people who have kids who is like, oh, man, my life's over. I can't do shit no more. And it's like, no, bro, just fucking put that baby on your chest. Like you, you love this, Martin. I've been I, I've been uh, putting a little Seneca and the, the baby Bajoran front strap thing. I've, I've been going to the park. I've been doing chin ups with a baby on my chest. And okay. I've been doing dips with the baby on my chest. It's like a free weight vest. So it's like I like the idea in life when. You know, when life gives you lemon, kind of make lemonade, kind of like make the, the best out of what you got. Okay. Uh, quickly, just back to the Instagram, I made myself note, because you also said uh, what makes a successful photographer is uh, 90% marketing and uh, 10% skill, right? And yep. isn't Instagram a platform just as YouTube 
that you could use to, you know, market yourself? If you okay. wouldn't use that, it that, that, to, that's to, a great to chase the likes. That, and... that, that's a great question. That's a great question. Okay. Did you ever watch Star Wars? Uh, yeah. What's, what's, what's the famous quote? What's the famous quote? May the force be with the, you. That, no, no, the Admiral, the, 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 the guy who looks like a big squid. The, it's a trap. It's a, it's it's a, a trap. Yeah. Okay. It's a trap. Okay. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> so, okay. I still stand by that notion. Yeah, I think success in photography, entrepreneurship, it really is 90% marketing and 10% you know, quote-unquote skill, however okay. you want to define that. Um, because, okay, there's a trillion photographers who are like a trillion times better than me in photography, but I'm like a trillion times better than any of them in marketing, right? And actually, I credit my skills in marketing actually to studying sociology and also like, you know, also kind of like philosophy and you know, technology, stuff like that. I'm just, I'm also just kind of interested, but I would say Instagram is okay. It's a, it's a trap in so far much as, um, Oh, so I, I don't know if you, you, you learn about this in uh, Czech public history, but have you ever heard something called sharecropping? No. Okay. So, you know, okay. So uh fun history lesson. So, Back back in America, after the slavery was abolished, right? They're like, okay, you can't be, you can't have slaves anymore, right? Okay. But they has to be called sharecropping, and this is the thing: is like you had all these poor black people, right? And you had the the rich white dudes who had the land, right? They're like, oh, we'll give you this small plot of land, and you know, we'll just kind of rent it to you, and then you could build, you you know, you could plant like squashes, apricots, you know, strawberries, whatever you want to have it, and then. Oh, you just have to pay us a small little fee, but it's it's your land. Oh yeah, that, we had something similar, but called differently. Yeah. Well, what was what's it called in Czech? Uh, in, in, in Czech, there is this, this Czech Czech word when the people were bound 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 to the land, and yeah, they well, had what's to it they they basically worked like I would say three days for the owner of the land, or four days for the owner of the land, and then three days for themselves, or something like that. So. So that thing is it is it good or bad for the the guy who's doing well, it? Well, it's basically good for the guy who owns the land, right? All right. So so you know, Facebook and Instagram. Who 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 owns Instagram? You mean like Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. So Instagram is owned by Facebook, who's owned by Mark Zuckerberg, oh, yeah. right? So I I I invented a notion called digital sharecropping. Okay. Where so with Instagram, for example, like I'm not gonna lie. Right now, right now, it's probably the most effective marketing platform in a in a very superficial sense, right? Because like you know, you get the likes and everyone's on it, whatever, right? But this is what happens. It's it's gonna be like a bait and switch, or it's like they have your balls in a vice, right? Okay. Because what happens? Well, I'll give you an example. So I, like one of my friends was like one of the first Instagram influencers, whatever. He had like 10 million followers, right? But you know how like Instagram, Facebook. They keep changing the algorithm to favor the the sponsored posts and ads. And so like he posts something and not only a thousand of his followers see the post unless he boosts it by putting in 20, 30 yeah, bucks. All platforms do that uh, in the sense when they start, they have a big like, you know, when you start and the, the platform is young, they promote a lot of lot of posts, a lot of new creators, and and once they have the community, they start to push to get the money from from the creators. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's also this is where I'm like telling people to be a little bit uh, wary about YouTube too, because same thing, right? 
where if you're working on borrowed land, that land doesn't own, doesn't belong to you. And any moment, so like, um, this is my prediction, within 10 years, Instagram is just going to become Facebook. They're, they're going to probably delete or Instagram is going to get absorbed into Facebook. I, I think that's going to happen in, in 10 years, right? And Or it's possible 10 years, 20 years from now, Facebook, could, Instagram could become the next MySpace and it could no one could just use it. Then maybe Snapchat becomes the new king or you know, whatever product from China or whatever, or TikTok, I don't know, whatever. So I would say Instagram is a trap insofar much as, okay, so my idea of the, the success, it's all about longevity. So okay. one of the things I'm actually the most proud of is I started in 2010, it's 2021 now. Yo, there's been so many Air Kim haters who was like, oh, you know, your cards, a stack of cards can fall. Bro, I've been in this game for 11 years. I'm 33 years old. I've been in this game since I've been 21 years old. And longevity is key. Like, you know, you think about the most successful entrepreneurs. Jay-Z, he's been rapping for like 30 years. Kanye, like two decades plus. Um, Dr. Dre, Eminem. And, you know, you don't want to be like, you know, Migos or just like kind of like these rappers or people who like, I think it's actually really depressing if you're just successful for one or two years and then you just kind of, Fade away, and I think that's the problem. That's the trap with Instagram. Is right now it's like the most popular things, but if you observe Gen Z or the younger kid, they don't even use Instagram anymore. They're on like Snapchat or TikTok or some other random shit. They don't even use Facebook, right? Well, I know so, what you mean. Like, you, I would understand that if you said like if that is your only platform you depend on, then you become a prisoner of what they do. And but if that is just one channel you promote your thoughts, then I wouldn't really, you know, feel uh, oh, feel bad this, about using well, that. Yeah. Well, no, that, that's, I think, I think your point is totally legitimate. Um, what I would still say though, is that like, if you took all the energy, things that you otherwise post to Instagram, just post your blog, it will give you 10x the effect, effectiveness, in my opinion. And it also gives the piece, people reason to go back to your blog. And also I think the problem by Instagram is that It's kind of like, like, like I, I treat Instagram kind of like crack cocaine or heroin, right? Like, like people are like, oh, you know, heroin, right? It's like, oh, but just, just do a little bit of heroin. And it's okay. No, it's like, it's, it's like, because like, like, well, you know, everyone's like everything in moderation, right? They're like everything in moderation. I'm like, bro, that's the worst advice ever. I'm like, would you give your kid heroin in moderation? Even if it was like, you know, that, that much. Right. So like, And this is just my personal philosophy, but I'm like, it's either like all or nothing, right? So, you know, I would say, yeah, just in, in my opinion, the wise thing is just to do abstinence. Just abstinence is key. The first time you took a little bit of heroin, like it, it's just enough to just kind of fuck with your brain in really bad ways. And I think it's, yeah, essentially it's, it's, it's a trap. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. To the yeah. the most popular topic in photography, would yeah. you guess what it is? What is it? Let's talk about the gear. So, what is your Ricoh GR4 wish list? Oh, Ricoh GR4 wish list. Oh, good question. Bring back the flash. Like, why would you get rid of the flash? Like, it's the flash only made the camera like that much bigger. It's it's almost like. I think the the 
the worst idea that Rico had was let's make the camera like that much smaller, but get rid of flash. That's a, that's almost like, yo, I'm trying to lose weight. Okay, just chop off one of your arms. <laughs> Ch chop off one of your testicles and you'll lose like half a pound, right? So like that that was like kind of my idea of a very foolish optimization. So just add add the add the flashback. That's that's really the, the only thing. Other than that, I think that the GR3 it's it's pretty much a perfect camera. I really love the it has the yeah, USB-C charger. Yeah. Maybe the flip so out screen. No, I think I think flip out screen's a bad idea. I I don't like the the flip out screen. I actually prefer I've actually never been a fan of uh, I would love to shoot like from the hip being able to look I mean, down. Still, I mean, you can still do it. Oh, you I can mean, do you it. Can it down. You can still see. Um, cuz I think the problem with the if you added a flip out screen, it would just make it more bulky and also the thing will just kind of be like a little bit more flimsy so it'd be less sturdy. Dude, I don't know about you, Rico. I've dropped this onto concrete at least like five or six times and it's been totally fine. I even give this to like my two-year-old nephew. He like threw it one. Of, oh shit, I pick it up. Like, okay, cool, solid. But um, but yeah, I would actually say in terms of Rico GR4 um, wishlist, add the, add the flash. Um, no, I think my Rico is almost like a new. <laughs> okay, that's, but that's, like that's I good. use it, but I'm, I'm still in this. I wouldn't say still in this honeymoon phase, honeymoon honeymoon phase, but I still kind of like, I, because I use uh, the next trap, so I I never mm. really drop it, because when oh, okay. I drop it, it stays, it still stays on my neck. That's good. Oh, so Martin, what? Because uh, do you still have your M two forty? Yes, I do. So. What inspired you get GR3 and how's that compared to the M240 for you? So, uh, my style with Rico is kind of like I I turn it on and do kind of like I'm I'm shooting a video of being a tourist, right? Yeah. Kind of style. And then I walk yeah. and take a picture. And so yeah. with with this style I can take pictures of people and they don't really mind, but with the Leica, yeah. I usually have to have to get like, you know, and it's like uh, pretty obvious, <laughs> uh, and it's pretty obvious I'm taking picture. So uh, the style is different in the sense that how I, how I, uh, you know, how I use it to achieve what I what I want. If when I have the Rico, I'm like walking towards yeah. someone, put the camera into his face and take the picture. But when I have the Leica, it's kind of like it it makes I would say much more obvious when you when you take picture. Yeah, no, it, it's so funny because uh, I think ninety nine point nine percent the mystique of uh, like our rangefinders. It's really kind of the the romanticism slash I want to be on Ricardo Bresson. <laughs> I, I think, but I really think that the GR three is 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 actually a, a superior camera. It's, it's like a better camera even at the the price point. Um, so would Cartier Bresson used recall if he left? Today? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, if he if he if he lived today, he'd either be shooting with a Rico or an iPhone or because like that the the thing that this is where studying history is, uh, is useful. The only reason he shot with a Leica was it was the smallest camera at the time. Because okay. actually, uh, history lesson: when Cartier Bresson started shooting with the thirty-five millimeter rangefinder Leica, whatever, right? At the time, serious photographers all shot large format cameras or even medium format cameras, whatever. So. Yeah. So a compact 35 millimeter camera was almost seen as like 
what people think of an iPhone today. They're like, oh, that's not a serious camera. The prints look not so good. You can't get it really big. But it was like the smallest, most unobtrusive thing they could shoot for the time. And so in today's world, obviously, like, like the, the, the goal is to be as unobtrusive as possible, right? And so shooting with a Ricoh just makes so much more sense because like even simple things, right? Like it just like it's small, it's black, and you can't really see it and people don't really take it seriously. And I still think that uh, shooting with a Leica rangefinder is if you really, 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 really need the ultimate, ultimate street photography tool where you're trying to shoot layers and, um, you know, you don't want any shutter lag and you're in a super crowded city like New York and you, you don't care being spotted, whatever, and you're your whole day or week is only going to be dedicated to photography, then actually, yes, I would say the Leica M camera is probably the best tool. But 99% of the time, like I'm going to the grocery store or I'm holding, this is actually a useful thing. Having a one-handed camera that has autofocus, I could hold a baby and take pictures. I can't like fucking, you know, have my life. Yeah, I know what you mean. Seen and trying to fucking, and then I could even put this in my front pocket wrist strap, neck strap, whatever it may be. So with how, uh, how technology progresses, advances, is shooting manual uh, is shooting manual overrated? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, anyone who's, <laughs> anyone who shoots, tries to shoot, um, okay, if you have a film Leica, like a, an M6 or an MP, whatever, then yeah, of course you're gonna shoot manual, that, that makes sense. But in today's world to shoot manual, there's really, it's, it's almost like there's really no good reason to to do it because um, the only thing you really need to do in photography, in my opinion, and this is where I actually really like the GR3, okay, the me... exposure compensation. Okay. You know, the exposure compensation minus or plus. This is by far the most useful thing. And this is where the ergonomics of the GR3 is really good because you could do it so quickly. And this is where I still think that shooting with um, the Ricoh GR3 is still actually even better than shooting with an iPhone or an iPhone Pro because this thing, you know, you have to like, still unlock it and you know you're taking a picture you kind of drag it down to the exposure like it's it's not ergonomic enough it's actually more efficient and also the image quality of the rico gr3 i would still say it's like 20 times better than even the newest iphone pro so it's it still makes more and it's 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 like not that much bigger or not that much thicker so it's and actually it's cheaper than the iphone so might as well just get the rico i think the same except for maybe different reasons i kind of feel like having a dedicated tool to something is then then i feel like i'm much more productive whether with iphone i feel like someone calls me or getting text or or checking i don't know whatever you probably don't check the instagram uh same thing happened to me with kindle i was kind of like why would i get kindle Mm. if i have like ipad right yeah and then i kind of got it like a present or something and I just read like so much more books, right? Because like I go to bed, I take only my Kindle, not my phone, oh, not good. my iPad, not anything. And then I'm just reading, reading, and then you can highlight stuff and you oh, can yeah. even write, mm. uh, you can even read, um, you know, in the in the night. And uh, just like, and then if you think about it, it's kind of stupid. Like I have already iPad, right? So why would I mm. buy different kind of, Thing which basically can do the same thing as iPad except less, right? But then mm-hmm. I, I figure out that that Kindle being able to do less actually, you know, that's kind of like oh, cliche, that's, that's oh, know, that's like that's like very, makes me do more. Well, actually, that's the funny thing too, because actually, um, so 
my my little niece Amelia, who was like, well, I taught her photography when she was two or three. You know, you would think that a kid would prefer to shoot everything with a phone, but funny enough, she actually preferred using my Ricoh or even my Lumix G9 camera has the the viewfinder because I think kids they actually really like the tactility. The okay. The buttons. The kids like the buttons, and also like this is one thing I realized. You know, all the new cars, right? It's all touchscreen, right? I hate that because when you're driving and you just need to turn on the air conditioner or change the volume, having a physical button is actually really superior. Even um, the speedometer to see how quickly you're going, right? So like for a while I was driving a Prius and you know, it's, it only shows the numbers. There's no okay. nothing else. The digital instrument is actually inferior to the analog instrument. And so even something I've been realizing watching Seneca, right? Like he could, he could, He's starting to learn how to use his hands and shove his hands in his mouth and okay. whatever, right? There's something really human about our hands. And so anything that becomes more manual, and it's funny because you know the word manual, it means uh, manu, which is hand. Like a manual thing is something to do with your hands. Like there is something to be said about the manual experience of like, touching things with your hands and tactility. We talk about the photo books. There's something different about reading a print book versus reading something on your iPad, you get distracted. Um, and so having, I think that the, the most underrated thing in camera is actually ergonomics. So the fact that the Ricoh GR is the smallest camera, but also this grip is actually really comfortable and all the buttons just kind of make sense. The menus make sense and stuff like that. And has a quick button. So, Physical, tactile things are extremely useful. And actually, even with cars, I actually I much prefer driving a manual transmission car okay. than uh, driving automatic because, ironically, when I'm driving manual and I'm driving, I'm actually more focused on the road and I actually enjoy the experience more. Whereas, you know, if you're in an automatic car, you know, you're like changing your the station on Spotify or trying to skip through an ad on, on a podcast or something like that, you're actually more distracted. Um, I think this and, thing with the cars and touchscreen... So you mentioned probably leads more uh, towards uh, the voice uh, commands and stuff that uh, in the future well, you will just you know uh, or say just you know Siri do something or something. Oh, like that's that. a good point. You know, I actually wonder like let's say you have a Tesla or something. I wonder if actually if there's just only touchscreen, you actually get into more accidents. Like I like one of the cars I was in, right? The air conditioner unit is only accessible via touchscreen. I couldn't fucking forget, figure out how to turn on the AC, right? So can you imagine you're driving, trying to turn on the AC, like, oh, you get into a car accident. <laughs> uh, okay. Never thought about it. We have a question. What setting does Eric use for this signature black and white style? He was just doing ooh. this on this on his face, kind of like <laughs> Daido Moriyama style. Okay. So uh, who, who asked the question? Rosso Rosso. Okay, Rosso Rosso, okay. I'll show you all the air can settings. Okay, P mode. P mode is the best mode. P stands for professional. <laughs> that's that's a joke, right? Um, and if you if you go into the settings, you know the the JPEG filters. I have this on high contrast black and white mode. And if you press the function button, FN button here, you okay. go into the the settings. And you can actually um, adjust all these settings a little more. So um, the contrast setting, I have it to plus four, which is the most. Highlight, plus four. Shadow, plus four. Sharpness, plus four. And that's uh, pretty much it. And also, oh, grain effect. 
uh, plus three, which is the maximum. Everything else is zero. And also what I do is I found that the, the best pro tip I have about photography is shoot uh, small JPEGs. So I have this on JPEG. I don't even shoot raw anymore. I think raw is actually hugely overrated. Um, and I just, even the JPEG size, it's a small size, which is 3360 pixels by 2260 pixels, which is more than enough. And actually the huge benefit of shooting small JPEGs is I just shoot more. And when it transfer my photos to my laptop, it's so much faster. I look through the photos so much faster, I upload them to my blog media library so much faster. And then about 3000 pixels wide image is more than enough size you you need actually even now shooting with the pentax 645z digital medium format camera i shot that on small jpeg and the photos still looked amazing because like that's the big trap the what am i saying is more megapixels more problems because <laughs> you know everyone's like oh shoot they more megapixels but then like and then you fucking have to buy more sd cards it takes forever to write to your card so there's more buffer lag you have to import it and then boom, your hard drive around space, go buy a new hard drive. You try to upload to Dropbox or to the cloud, it takes forever. And then you try to, so like smaller JPEGs is, is key. So those, those are pretty much the settings. And um, I just, nowadays, I just shoot JPEG, import it all to Apple Photos, actually the, the desktop one. I'll just favorite the ones I like, export it as JPEGs to my Dropbox folder on my laptop, and I'll just upload it to my blog. And that's pretty much my, my workflow. It's, it's the simplest workflow I've found yet. Um, and I'm, I'm quite happy about it. Okay. And then the photos, the photos look awesome. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, with oh us. and also, a pro, also a pro tip. If you want more epic photos on Ricoh GR3, when in doubt, it's always better to underexpose the photos. Okay. Cause when you underexpose the photos, the photos end up just looking more artistic. Okay. So minus one exposure compensation minus two, even on a bright sunny day, if you see a bunch of clouds, Shoot at like minus two, minus three exposure compensation. So an aesthetic thing I've been experimenting with is try to make the photos as dark as possible, but still able to see something. And then the photos actually just look way more mysterious and uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, your thoughts about film photography today? Because film is kind of, at least what I see, is having comeback. Like film is not dead. And yep. all those... Uh, cameras like uh, Mamiya or you know the prices are rising and people are oh, really? getting back to film photography at least what I feel yeah so yeah w what are your thoughts about film photography today yeah I think uh, film photography is, is still great and it's awesome and I mean truth be told like really really at the end of the day if you if you want the most beautiful beautiful aesthetic in the picture film will always be superior to digital in my opinion okay but i'm at that point where my rico gr3 the black and white mode to me looks about 90 to 95 percent as good as my black and white pictures I, on film so i used to shoot you know um kodak 400 tracks pushing to 1600 using a yellow filter on um, film leica whatever and the the grain effect will always be superior in film because it's actually truly random and there's like stochastic resonance in the noise. It's, it's, it's a truly a random noise pattern, which aesthetically looks more beautiful. And even if you watch films like cinema, I think a 35 or 35 or 70 millimeter, whatever type of film, it'll always look more beautiful because it's so imperfect. Digital could often look too, too perfect. But then I watched a new Blade Runner 
and I watched old Blade Runner. I actually preferred the aesthetic of the new Blade Runner. I think it actually looked more beautiful in terms of the color grading and stuff than the the old Blade Runner. It was, it was, it was almost too greedy. I actually kind of didn't like it. So I think every photographer, if they're interested in film, totally experiment with it. You can just get like a disposable film camera, buy a cheap, you know, Canon AE1 film SLR, um, the the Ricoh GR1 cameras, the GR1Ss, they're they're notoriously, they break down so easily. But if you could find one that's relatively cheap and you want to experiment, uh, that's what I would recommend. Um, if you really wanted to get balls deep with a film, uh, a film like a M6 is, is fantastic. Uh, the Voigtlander 35mm f2.5 uh, version 2 lens, only like 400 bucks is great. Um, you know, then I, I got a film like a M... I actually used to have a film like... A, I used to have a digital M... Uh, m9 I actually sold that and i actually got a film like mp um and i you know and i have the sumacron 35 millimeter like a f2 a spherical and the cool thing with that camera is when seneca becomes 18 years old i could give him that camera and it'll still work right okay and then of course even 20 years from now of course there's still going to be hipsters shooting film and processing film so I'd, i'm not not too worried about that but i think the the thing i would say is there's a lot of photographers who want to be seen as like serious photographers who resist shooting digital because they're afraid that it's going to make them lose their legitimacy. So to those photographers, I would actually encourage them to to shoot digital, get a Ricoh GR version, um, GR3, try out the black and white, um, try even the color process. Uh, color filter is actually really nice. Uh, Fujifilm also makes really great um Filters for their uh, Fujifilm cameras, like the the classic Chrome and stuff like that, they all they all look fantastic. Um, so I think, yeah, really the the future of digital photography, I think it's going to be more like in camera JPEG film simulation kind of okay. looks. Um, and as time goes on, they're going to become more sophisticated. Uh, digital added grain afterwards is also a nice aesthetic. But yeah, I would encourage all photographers to try out film. And but I think, uh, truth be told. Film photography is going to be best as a bridge or a tool to be more appreciative of digital photography because all photographers go through this, experience it. Once you get into film, you process your own film, you scan your own film. It's such a fucking pain in the ass. When you go back to digital photography, you're like, oh, thank God, this is so much more convenient. And actually, when the reason why I transitioned from film to digital was um, film started, ironically, film started to become a crutch for me because... I was less productive with film because you know, like film is more expensive. You got to buy yeah. more film. Takes you gotta get a process, to process. Get a scan. Yeah. yeah, and now with and uh, you know, I don't know other people, but with COVID, like I can't really find any labs that are open to process films anymore. And I think, I mean, there, I still think there's what like the, the dark room online or something like that, some places that do it. Um, I used to get my films processed at Costco, which is like the local drugstore, and they did for super cheap. Like they would scan it and process it for do only five dollars a roll. Come but back now. To film? Oh yeah, I mean, I still have like, I have like thirty rolls of Kodak Portrait Four Hundred, that are unprocessed, <laughs> just chilling in my bag somewhere. That I just been, I haven't had the opportunity to do it. Not but, in the fridge. Yeah, like, no, not in the fridge. I'm like, no, it's, it's fine. People, people get too anal about that. I'm like, that's just like in a bag, like probably, probably collecting mildew. Who, who knows? Maybe it could have the hipster effect. But then, yeah, I'm gonna process and film. Okay. And I mean, like, my hope too is that. Maybe there'll be new, you know, like, wouldn't it be so awesome if there was like a really easy way to film 
to process film at home. That wasn't the, you had to do with your whole canister. You just toss it in and it auto scans. So maybe like that will be good. So I, I don't ever plan on selling my film camera. Um, but yeah, like when time becomes convenient, yeah, definitely start shooting more film. Who knows? Maybe when Seneca's learning photography, I'll get him started on film photography to okay. just kind of <laughs> enjoy the joy with him. Uh, viewers question. Last thing you guys read, watched, learned in photography that inspired you and you could share you could share with us so do you want oh, to start okay. who, 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 who asked the question uh ravi dantas again ravi dantas okay how about martin you you answer and then i'll answer okay perfect so there is a photographer she's called uh bika deporter she's a magnum photographer and so what she did was she has uh, she has some projects and one of them is that she went uh she visited a location she did this this with egypt i think and with also in russia and she asked people on the street if she could uh stay at their place uh and photograph them overnight so so this is basically a project you could just uh do a book wrap it up and you know call it a project <laughs> basically so and and what she did she came back to the city and did an exhibition and invited the people in and uh, she let them write. She let them write over. Oh, cool! Over the pictures, actually. Oh, and that's cool. Then what she did is she published a book, not with the photographs. And I'm actually working on the on the review of uh, of the book. And there is a booklet which uh, translates uh, everything uh, at the end. Oh, and. She she published the book like that, so it actually the point where I'm getting at is that she we could we could take a picture and call it an art, and she took that picture and transformed it into into hmm. different art, printing the book with uh, you know the signatures and notes oh, cool, and yeah. stuff. So that's that's what I really like, and like, oh, I, like that. I, I discovered in in this book like. You know something I have uh, not discovered for for quite some time. How you can present, uh, how you can do a presentation of your work, transformed into something else with feedback of other people. Kind oh, of like cool, yeah. uh, it's it's not like uh, NFTs, but it's something similar that you have. You are showing the idea of the art and not the the art itself. If we if we mm -hmm. say like the art is the photograph itself. And this is the photograph with the comments, so I kind of, I kind of like it. I like it maybe more than. Oh, that's, yeah, I love that. That's so cool because, man, you know, like, the bad thing about photography is, there are just like a bunch of like really old grumpy people who are just like, the photograph needs to be unaltered and it needs to be like this and that. But then I really do think that uh, photography is art and. Anything you could do to a photograph, whether you remix it, add images, add pictures, whatever you do, I think it's good. Like if it, especially if it adds so much to the story, because that's that's so much more beautiful. And also, like subtle things, you see the the handwriting of people. Everyone has a slightly different handwriting, yeah. And so that adds more to the art. And also, it just becomes much more personal because I think a lot of photography, especially in this case, tends to be a little bit like exploitative. Like, you know, you go, you hang out with a bunch of like homeless people and, you know, you photograph the homeless people and then you're like, you know, exhibition, right? But then if this photographer invited the people to come see their own photos, 
it's so much more genuine because she's going to photograph them in a beautiful, genuine, honest way that knowing that they're actually going to see the pictures too. Right. Yeah. Cause like sometimes people like you'll make a photo of somebody and make them look really bad, but like the bad I'm artsy sure if, photo, if this I don't know. Was the, the idea at the start of, or if this was like an afterthought. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I think it's a great, I think it's a great idea. Oh, that, that inspires me. I'll, I'll, I might, I might steal that idea and do something like that too. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know the Picasso quote, like, like yeah, uh, the best artist good, steal. Good, uh, yeah, good artist copy, great artist steal, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the 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 best thing I've seen recently is um I rewatched the the new Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Okay. I thought it was awesome. Like it was, I I watched the the new Blade Runner and then I just rewatched the old Blade Runner. I actually think the new the new Blade Runner is like ten times better than the original film. I actually found the you know, because, like, you know, people who are, like, super diehard fans are like, oh, the new version is never as good as the old one. But I actually think the new one is better. The cinematography, the storyline, the the characters, the relationships, the love interest. The, the, I also, like, I'm a huge fan of, like, cyberpunk, dystopia kind of future kind of images. So, yeah, I saw Blade Runner 2049, and that was that was awesome. And I also rewatched the old Blade Runner, which is also pretty great. Um, but, yeah, Blade Runner 2049, I think it's... It's definitely worth people rewatching, and also I bought it on the, the Apple iTunes store or whatever. And there's a bunch of extras they show, like other mini stories, which I thought was super awesome and definitely uh, worth the watch. Okay, perfect. Thank you. My uh, last question—it's oh, actually not my last question—but I want to ask you about okay. your future projects, uh, future projects, and also about Haptic, what you guys have yep. on the sleeve for. Yep. So, uh, so, so newest product we just released i don't have it with me but the air kim wallet essentially like a dope wallet that has two slots for sd cards so like you're always ready for because i don't know if you had this uh with your camera have you had it that your sd card ever gets corrupted while shooting with the gr well i i have not shot that, like that many shots but it never happened to me okay it happened to me at least like 20 times where it's like error cannot write image maybe because you drop it so much ah maybe maybe okay um but even before that it had issues but anyways having the you could just google air kim wallet or just go to airkimphotography.com slash blog slash shop or hapticindustries.com and yeah made a made a wallet and it's 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 probably the most proud product i am because like you know guys in wallets like we're always looking for the perfect wallet and I love the idea that you could design your own perfect wallet or thing for yourself and then actually end up selling it for other people too because I tested this wallet for almost seven years. No, not seven years, five years from Vietnam. And so like, and this is also just like one entrepreneurial um, thing I've learned. This just applies to everything. It goes back to the Samuel Street Life notion is create things or design things or make things that you wish you could see manifested in the world or you wish that you could buy essentially. Cause even when I started doing the street photography workshops, that wasn't even a concept, right? People are like, Oh, you can't teach street photography. But then I would like, when I started street photography, I wish I could have attended a workshop because it made things so much simpler. Like it took me like five years to teach myself street photography. And now when I do a workshop, I could teach people that in like a day. Um, and so, you know, um, what I have down the pipeline is I'm planning on doing more like, um, kind of like more like open source, like PDF eBooks or e-zines. I think that's going to be pretty cool. Um, 
I think uh, other things I want to continue to do is. Did you consider like, working like, with with publisher to publish oh, a book? Oh no, no, never. Just uh, I I think. Why? Oh, another another piece of advice. Yeah, never work with a publisher. Always self-publish. Uh, the reason is, I mean, many right is. Okay, the only reason you would go with a traditional publisher is for prestige, but for everything else, like profit, um, money, uh, control, creative expression, publishing yourself is always better. Because once again, I told you the thing, it's like a lot of these traditional publishers, you have to upfront so much of your money. And also often they they, they become so controlling of the, the th like oh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a real example. So... Um, uh, did you ever did you ever read my hundred lessons I learned from the Masters of Street Photography book? The book? Mm, yes, I think it's it's a thin one. It's not not, not that thin, but it's like no 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 the, the e, no ebook e ebook ah uh, ebook. Okay, I I don't think so. That, I'm not sure. Okay, you I have I your I have like, your Masters photography. It's like the yellowish. Oh yeah, yellow slash oh, this, this black is, one. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm talking about the. I did an ebook, like it's like 300 pages, um, 100 lessons I learned from the masters of street photography. And originally I actually had a book deal to publish that as a book, but eventually I actually ended up saying no to the book deal because my vision was I wanted to have a free PDF version of it available on the internet, but then the publisher said no. So I made the really hard decision of saying no to the publisher and ended up publishing it open source and i'm so so happy that i did that uh, instead because it just gave me so much more creative control and also i just wanted it to be out there so working with a publisher you're just going to have less freedoms which i think is bad um and yeah other projects i plan on doing is um i'm like kind of i have like you know you, you mentioned nfts right i'm like kind of like one foot in one foot out and like you know crypto crypto technologies and um you know ethereum so are Bitcoin, we getting eric coin yeah so maybe an eric coin or like um you know rsbeta.com you know our photo feedback platform we introduced the rs coin a while back but trying to figure out like i, I think right now it's been really hard because I'm, I'm a new dad so like i've been i haven't had any energy to do anything else but just keep baby alive but um <laughs> I really want to, okay, so I mean, I'll just share all my entrepreneurial ideas and anyone's, anyone's feel free to steal it because they, they take a lot of work. So I have this one notion called auto ours. Um, ours is the name of um, the startup that I made, ARS, which is Latin for art. Imagine, okay, so let's say you go out and you shoot like a thousand pictures of random shit, right? Imagine if you could just import it to your phone or your laptop and you could just drag it into an app and then it would automatically choose your best 10 pictures for you. <laughs> okay. Wouldn't that be so nice? Or you got a filter, it's like it helps you choose your one best shot or 100 best shots, whatever, right? So that's that's one idea that I have. Um, that would be a fantastic utility. That would be, that'd be the game changer because I think the problem now is we have so many photos and we don't have the time to edit and sort through and look through all of them. And that would be so like a machine of, learning thing. Yeah, machine learning, you know, uh, ML well, kind of thing. I'd be interested so to see if you could pick... I would say, let's say, because, you know, different people, different tastes, right? So uh, if you could just pick examples and then the machine learning would, would say, okay, so this is what you like. This mm -hmm. is what I'm going to pick. Because when I'm uh, shooting with friends, I'm, I'm then, you know, posting or showing them what, what I shot. And then often 
I, I leave out some shots, you know, which I think are not worthy. And then they say, okay, those are the, the best shots you shot. So we have like different opinions about. Oh, yeah. Oh, so like you put a filter like, oh, I want dark and moody or artistic. And then they could help you choose that. Or I just want selfies or. Oh, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. I like that idea. Um, so that's one idea. Another idea I had is, um, I mean, um, this is where rsbeta.com uh, was left off, where like you could upload a picture, right? And then you could request uh, feedback from the pictures. But I, I kind of want a more like like a network where um, I, I, I almost think of it like the Uber for photography, where you could create a platform where people could rake real money or Rscoin or Bitcoin or whatever kind of crypto where people could give you feedback on your photos or help you curate your portfolio or help you improve your photography. And then you could pay them. And then, okay, you know, you, you see what I'm kind of getting at, right? I was interviewing I the that... other day a photographer called Alex Kilby and we talked about it and he said that a lot of people just put the photographs uh, on the internet and says uh, and says, give me some feedback, and yeah, but they exactly. they don't ask for what kind of feedback it should be like. What are you trying to achieve? I mean, if you're trying oh, to shoot abstract photographs and then you post a oh. sharp like knife sharp photograph and ask give me your feedback, they might not give you what you're looking for, right? Uh, oh, oh, so this takes me to another idea. So. Maybe like for now, people just want feedback on the composition, right? So I, another idea I had for some sort of app or technology is imagine like, you know, I do this manually, right? Where you take a picture and you could put it into an app or a program and it would automatically draw the red lines and the leading lines and the circles or whatever to space. analyze images. Oh, okay. Or, or even better yet, even, you know, this is one idea I had too, like your iPhone, right? Imagine you're trying to take a picture of a scene and then your LCD screen, while you're shooting the pictures, it would automatically draw the red lines and the circles and the triangles while you're shooting. See, like augmented reality, right? But isn't, so you're it, something, kind of like, isn't it something like uh, Anne Cartier? I mean, it's it's uh, more like, uh, you know, old type of thinking. But uh, Anne Cartier also said that he wishes people never uh, put the, you know, grams on the on the on the on the cameras or in the viewfinder yeah the, the ratio then, I and mean, stuff. anything that you could do to aid or improve or assist people like it's it's kind of like um driving right like you know they have the the guardrails yeah to prevent you from driving off the road it's kind of the same thing is it like you still need to do it yourself but you still have some sort of guidance i mean um yeah i think uh, it would be it'd be huge i mean like this is where Henri Carter Brisson is so pretentious because he he went to art school, like he had a paint like master painter teach him. So he had like the kind of more classical art school education that a lot of people don't have access to. So I think anything that could kind of democratize the access to improving composition, the better. So yeah, so anything that could help people's composition. Um, another idea I had more recently is called PhotoLink. There's this crypto technology called Chainlink, chain.link. Uh, which it was inspired by. But the basic notion is, imagine if like, you post a picture or you look at a picture and it's kind of like, you know, Google images where they're like, oh, related images. But imagine if you could post an image of yours and then 
you know, the machine or something could automatically say, oh, your style looks like this photographer and this photographer got inspiration from that photographer. Because it was interesting, someone in the comments mentioned the whole Daido Moriyama thing. A lot of people don't know this, but Daido Moriyama's gritty, dark black and white style, it's actually not his. He stole it from William Klein. Okay. William Klein was the first OG to do the blurry, out of focus kind of, you know, jittery image. And then Dado Moriyama took the idea silently from William Klein, but he got all the credit for it, right? Okay. Or even like Bruce Gilden, you know, him shooting with a flash. He actually got that from, um, you know, Lizette Modell, who was like his teacher, who shot really close with a wide angle. And also, you know, Ouija and, um, you know, Diane Arbus, also a lot of photographers shooting flash. And, um, so, like, every photographer kind of steals their ideas from somewhere else. And even Henri Cartier-Bresson, his ideas on composition, it's all based on the surrealists, right? So, I like the idea that in photography, you could kind of, like, look at an image. You know, like, Photolink or something could tell you the the genealogy or the, the traits of the image and, like, who was inspired by who and what, like, almost like a photo photographer family tree. Because, um, yeah, like, Ultimately, everyone was inspired by someone. Even uh, Steve Jobs, his biggest hero was Edwin Land, who invented Polaroid. And Steve Jobs actually imitated his presentation style based on what Edwin Land did in his presentations. So whenever people is like, oh, you're just copying person X, Y, and Z, the truth is, like, every person steals a combination of ideas from other innovators or artists from the past but they just kind of recombined it and kind of make it better. yeah i'm just in the so middle those... of the of the uh biography of steve jobs uh, listening when when i'm uh out and about like you know oh good good idea it's it, it, it's really the it's really the best biography thing i think it's it's, it's ever been written even things that steve jobs said in the biography he said he would never make a big iphone yeah and then fucking he died and they, they went ahead and did it and he said it will never add a stylus to an ipad or add a keyboard and then he died and the Apple wanted to make more profits and they made that fucking Apple pencil and they made the stupid keyboard and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think that's yeah the, the Steve Jobs. I might, I might reread that biography. It's, it's, it's really good. Okay. Final question. Why do you take photographs? Ooh, great question. Is that your question? Uh, well, all questions are mine, but <laughs> yeah. You, you mean if, it's, if it was asked from the comments? No, it's, it's my question. Okay. So, so my, my my tip is, does it have to do something with the legacy? Um. Yeah, I mean, certainly it has to do with legacy in the sense of like, you know, I love the idea that when Seneca's like twenty one years old, he could look at the picture and he's like, oh shit, my dad documented my birth. That's that's awesome. Um, and I think part of it is because okay, um, after you're dead. You cannot reap the rewards of your legacy, right? Because you're dead. Yeah. But I think philosophically, I like the idea that I could dedicate and devote my life to help assist, you know, future generations of photographers or artists or creators or entrepreneurs, whatever, you know, like helping my son. Um, and that's why I believe so much in open source, putting all this information and knowledge out there because um, like, yeah, it's, it's great to me that like, you know, it's, you know, Martin, it wasn't that long ago where you're just chatting, you had the idea for a YouTube channel and you're already killing with YouTube. You've made like a trillion videos uh, or even like Samuel Street Life, you know, his like, you know, in my my opinion, his kind of like the the new era Kim, his kind of like, you know, killing in the street photography world. So I, I just kind of like it that um, 
that like you could kind of like pay it forward and i think even steve jobs said something like this is like you know he likes the idea that the he could leave something behind that could kind of help other people and and it, it goes back to the there are so many people who helped me get to where i am today and therefore my life duty is also to give back and help the next generation of people because like you know i'm so like certainly i worked hard at what i did but if i wasn't given the opportunities and the assistance from like all my mentors and books and information and stuff like that i couldn't have been able to make it uh where i am today so i think the biggest reason why i make pictures is it just brings me great joy and delight the, the act of making pictures brings me joy looking at the pictures evokes joy and sparks joy for me and also sharing my pictures brings me joy uh sh- teaching other people uh photography and helping other people find uh, more meaning in their photography brings me great joy but i think um ironically enough i think my my mission statement is trying to help other people discover why they also make photos thank you once again for joining us today I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to it. Please give this podcast a five-star rating, review, and please take a screenshot and throw it out on your Instagram stories so other people might find it as well. Come back next week because I will be talking to Susan Kandel about her new book at home. I'm very happy you are tuning in for another episode of podcast about photography. Until next time.